This week's episode of the Jones Report is presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. We want to be your partner. OAGKS.com, O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com for the best financial planning around with O'Connor Advisory Group's own Brian O'Connor. You can reach out to Bo at 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Sports Time. with Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by Jared Sutton, former Mizzou Tiger basketball player, also New Orleans Pelican scout. We will get Jared's thoughts on all things Big 12 hoops and more when he joins us coming up in just a little while from right now. Plus, one Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group as uh, we will talk about all the coaching changes, both in the NFL and college football. And we'll also preview every game of the NFL playoffs this weekend. So don't miss out on that. We'll have our Tom Fullery story of the week, our Big 12 breakdown, all of that and more coming up in just a matter of moments here on today's show. Thomas Bridges is joining me as always. And Tom, I know it's the end of the week, but it's never too late to at least have our moment to laugh at those Dallas Cowboys. Tom. How about them cowboys? <laughs> wasn't that I mean, just, yeah, you, wasn't you, that just you live in Dallas? You live in Dallas, and I'm glad I don't because I think I would have to. You know, if I lived in Dallas and could make fun of Dallas fans, and now listen, my Rams lost. My Rams lost to their former quarterback. But you know what? You know, we talked about this before. I picked Dallas to go to the Super Bowl against the Bills, and they lost. And I'm still, even though I picked Dallas to go to the Super Bowl against the Bills, I am glad that Dallas lost still, right? Wasn't like, it just my... a beautiful thing? Like, Oh, it was beautiful. That game and... going on. And the Packers just come out of the gates firing. Jordan Love just drops his sack right on that Dallas defense, Dak throws two picks. We see the Cowboys down by a huge margin. I loved everything about it. I could not get enough of that. Oh, no, neither could I, you know, and, and um, you know, seeing Dallas, I, you know, there's, there's Dallas fans here in San Antonio, and I work with a couple of them, unfortunately. Um, and they, they all said, you know, all probably four or five of them that I talked to, they said, wouldn't it be so Dallas to go in and shit the bed against Green Bay? And they said, we're only saying that to kind of like reverse jinx it because Dallas should have won that game. Dak and, and to be fair, Dak played really Dak played. You know, like all season, played one of his best seasons. Oh, he it looked like he could have been the MVP in the regular season. That just looked and, like. And you got CD Lamb. Did CD Lamb not lead receiving? CD Lamb was maybe the best receiver in the NFL this year. Yeah, and and you got Pollard who did okay. You know, you you get rid of Zeke. Pollard did okay. Um. You know, you know, it's, it's, it, the rushing attack really wasn't a huge thing for Dallas. 
Right. I mean, it's still had a rushing attack, but it wasn't like a, well, it wasn't it what wasn't McCarthy sold us. We were told by Mike McCarthy the reason why they were firing Kellen Moore was because they wanted to get back to running the football and then open up the passing game through the run. But they got away from that pretty quickly and just decided to ride or die on Dak, and ultimately they died <laughs> with Dak. I mean, it, it was just so hysterical. And then, like, to add salt to the wound, Tom, immediately, you know, as this game's finishing up, everybody's like, all right, finally time to get rid of McCarthy. Let's go get Belichick. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know, I think deep down Belichick's washed – but I don't want to give him this Cowboy team because they are just the coach away. Jerry's actually done a really good job putting that roster together. They just need the right coach. I sure wouldn't want it to be Belichick. And they tell us on Wednesday, Mike McCarthy's coming back. I'm like, yes, yes. That's like winning twice in one week. Yeah, right. I, I think I think them bringing McCarthy back, which I don't know – I like to think like we know a lot because we follow it, but I would like to know the inside and out of, you know, okay, bring McCarthy back. Did they bring McCarthy back because they, they talked to some other people and realized they couldn't get the job done or they couldn't convince a top coach to come there. McCarthy know where the bodies are buried or something here like, that or why like, is it you want to keep Mike McCarthy? Is it because he's a yes man to Jerry Jones? Does Jerry not want to give up that type of power to Bill Belichick? Like, why are you loyal to Mike McCarthy? Who I know that he's wins a lot of regular season games, won a Super Bowl title with Aaron Rodgers and all that. But is there a bigger fraud in the National Football League than Mike McCarthy? The answer, no. I mean, no, I think you're absolutely right. I, I, I think if it came down to it, if we got to see the inside, I don't. I don't think that Bill Belichick wanted to deal with Jerry Jones. I think, and you'll see a lot of Dallas fans say that that okay, the problem's not the coach, problem's not McCarthy, problem wasn't Jason Garrett, problem wasn't Tony Romo, problem wasn't you know, problem is not uh, you know, problem is not Dak Prescott, problem is. Jerry Jones, what acting like Jerry Jones, like we know he is. I see what you mean. That's a take that I would have agreed with, you know, two, three years ago. But I got to give Jerry credit. That roster, he and Steven and their scouting department have done an incredible job. That roster, well, except the defense against Aaron Jones. Look what Aaron Jones did to that Dallas defense that was That's top coaching. five. That's on coaching. That's not Jerry's fault. The, the, the roster was there. Coaching failed them. I thought Dan Quinn did a bad job, and he might end up being the next head coach of the Seahawks. Um, I think. That's I mean, yeah, you have Michael Parsons. I mean, you have the defense available to do it, and then Aaron Jones There's only was so really much. The... Like Jerry Jones, I'll give him credit. I will defend Jerry this one time. He put together a championship-caliber team and roster. It's the coaching that let him down. And to me, what I don't understand is you keep Jerry around, an old to, or keep Jerry around. You keep McCarthy around and decide not to fire him. And it's like, what are you expecting to be different? And I understand, like, winning regular season games, the record and all that's nice, what McCarthy's done. But you're the Dallas Cowboys. 
You've won five Super Bowls. You're supposed to be America's team. It does none of that regular season stuff matters if you don't get it done when it matters in the postseason. I, I, I still don't. It baffles me the value of what McCarthy brings, if anything, to the table. See, I'm still blaming Jerry Jones. Jones, they haven't been to an NFC championship game since you were alive. And you're you're approaching 30. Yes, but all that's you're not wrong. Yes, but this they year, didn't have Jeff Fisher. This year's team was it, yeah. You're 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 telling a guy that picked him to go to the Super Bowl versus Bills, right? I'm, I, that's what I'm saying. Like you and I can sit here and say Jerry did his job of putting the team, the product on the field. Coaching is what failed them here. So why didn't they fire Mike? That's what I don't understand. How does Mike still have a job? I don't get that. I don't think Mike McCarthy is a bad. I don't think he's a great coach. I don't think he's a bad coach. Oh, I think he's a bad coach. Like if if you had a, like you cover the Seahawks. If you had a choice between Mike McCarthy and Let's say, hmm, who's it? Ron Rivera and Mike McCarthy. Who are you choosing? Ron Rivera. Wow, really? Okay, let's let's think about this. Of the coaching candidates out there, what scenario would be different? Jim Harbaugh coaches that team. They're, they might be in the Super Bowl. Bill Belichick coaches that team, might be in the Super Bowl. Pete Carroll, even. At least what about Nick Sirianni? Nick Sirianni? I, I think with the right coordinators, that's a Super Bowl potential team. Like, McCarthy held that team back. He is the most to blame. The, how much blame does Dak get? Dak gets some, but I, I still think, and maybe I'm in the minority in this, I think Dak is good enough to win a championship, but like everything still has to go right around. Him. Is he is he better than Romo? I think so. Yes, I do. I do. I mean, statistically speaking, Tony Romo was just Derek Carr before Derek Carr. Is CeeDee Lamb better than Dallas T.O.? Uh, I think they're pretty close. I think they're pretty close. So Jason Witten is better than whatever they have at tight end now. And Ferguson, yeah, yeah, Witten's better. Early Ezekiel is better than Pollard. Right. Yeah, I mean they were a really good team, but um, Roy yeah. Williams was Roy Williams on that. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't even think the, the healthiness of a Trayvon Diggs saves this Dallas team. From the embarrassment that they got. No. From like I don't think Trayvon Diggs being healthy saves Dallas from the Packers ass whoop. No, I agree. A Aaron Jones was Aaron Jones was is and was the MVP of that whole game. And that's why I like I like Jordan Love, what he did in dinner during that game, but if you want to put a key component on it. Aaron Jones is the reason that Dallas kicked that ass. Yeah, the run game was phenomenal. The 
They want the best I've seen it for the Packers in a while. And, and the Jordan Love factor too. Like Jordan Love, Tom, you and I have been critical of Jordan Love. We we have not been. I'll I'll admit I was not a believer in Jordan Love, uh, based on everything we'd seen prior to this year, but it really started to click for him that second half of the season. I think beginning with that Thanksgiving win against the Lions, we started to see a different quarterback. And I, I, I mean, I like what I've seen from Jordan Love. Like, you know, we're we're going to talk about that Packer Niner game in a moment. I think that I think the Packers have the better quarterback. I think Jordan Love is figuring it out right now. Better than your favorite Brock Purdy. I would take Jordan Love over Brock Purdy right now. I think Brock Purdy has better receivers. If you want to use, you know, Romeo Dobbs had a hell of a game. Oh, let's let's be honest. Romeo Dobbs had, honestly, he was rated the best, even over Puka Nakua, who had however many receptions for 182 yards uh, and almost won the Rams the game. Um, Romeo Dobbs had the the best wide receiver game out of the entire wild card. Um, you know, the, if the Packers can go into Dallas. Now, Jones, I'll tell you what. I don't know. I think we talked about it last week, and I thought we had said that Dallas should win the game, but we weren't. 100 100% convinced they could do it. I will let's let our let's pat ourselves on the back, slap our own ass and say me and you both picked the Buccaneers over the Eagles. I was 5 and 1 in my picks last week. You picked Dallas and I think oh okay, yeah. I Dallas was the only game I got wrong last week. Which game? Dallas. I mean, I think for the most part, most people, but to be fair, I did pick the Rams, but that game was close. I did have the Texans over the Browns. I, I did have – oh, I guess I, I think I said the Browns might do it, but who who are you rooting for now? You have the Chiefs' interest, but if it's not the Chiefs, who are you rooting for? You know, if let, – let's just say, we'll take the – if – if I'm rooting based on likability, like storyline of sorts, let's put it that yeah. way. Not out of personal interest, but you know, just as a as a fan of the game, Tom, I think the two most intriguing teams for me, like likable teams, I'll pick one from each conference. I think it's what Lamar and this Ravens team is doing. You know, they look complete on both sides. They they're they're, they're tough defensively. Uh, Roquan Smith. Looks like the best linebacker in football right now. Lamar's the MVP, and Lamar's so exciting to watch. I mean, Tom Brady did an interview with Lamar a couple weeks ago, and he said, and this was a great compliment by Tom, he said to Lamar, to his face, Lamar, you are the reason why people watch the National Football League. I'm like, man, that's that's a compliment. That's a great point, too. Like, I, he is must-see TV every time I turn him on. I, I love to watch Lamar play. And, and so Lamar and the Ravens, I love that story. And the fact they've never been in the NFC cha- AFC Championship since Lamar's there. And then just the Detroit aspect. I, I feel like, Tom, that when you look at the Detroit Lions, I know some people are going to say, well, you know, they, they barely beat LA last week. It's the, you know, a, a six seed and all this. I look at it, Tom. You look at Detroit, and here's a team that 
it was an emotional night last week. It was their first ever home playoff game at Ford Field. You know, first time they won the division since 91. And Stafford coming home. Kelly's there with the kids and everything and all that. And all that emotion they had to play with and put that aside and come through and win that game. I think this Lions team kind of gets to relax a little bit now. Now they got that monkey off their back. They can just go play ball here. I, I, I like those stories. For me, it's it's Baltimore and Detroit. What 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 say you? You know, I think I think this Detroit team with the success that they've had, I think they they barely get past a Rams team who if they would have had a better kicker, maybe. Or I'm not going to blame it on the refs because there was a hold on Puka Nakua, but there was an offsides or neutral zone of action on the Rams that gave them new life as well. So I'm not going to call it on that. Um, but I think if the Rams would have kept Matt Gay or they would have had a better kicker, I th- or if they, you know, I, I, I mean, I they knew what they signed up for when they signed Brett Maher. A- absolutely. Or Lucas Haverschick. They 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 did that. They've made those choices. I think I think their their willingness to try to go get all of it on a third and thirteen, third and fourteen showed. I think they should have went for half of it and then looked at the field goal or looked at trying to go for it on half of that fourth down that they would have ended up getting. Um but out, outside of that, um I think from what I could see, there were a few dirty plays. Higby um, got obliterated as a tight end from a guy named Kirby Joseph that also ended TJ Hawkinson's season and maybe even his offseason the game before. Right. Also tore uh, Tyler Higby's ACL. I yeah. think that should be looked at. I think Kirby Joseph – Granted, legal hit. I think it was dirty. Yeah, um, I think Kirby Joseph is a dirty player. Um, absolutely. I, I, I'll, I'll tell him to his face. Um, Stafford even said it to his face that, "Hey, dirty player, dirty player." Um, outside of that, who I'm rooting for? Um, I'm rooting for the Texans. I like what she, CJ Stroud's been able to do. Um, and I think that the Packers have maybe the secret powder puff type girls ingredient to developing quarterbacks. If Jordan Love finds a way to beat the 49ers in San Fran and do it with Romeo Dobbs and Aaron Jones, after Aaron Jones having a dog shit fantasy season, legitimately, um, you gotta you gotta start looking at the Packers as a very weird. We know how to develop quarterbacks and still be the Packers. Yeah. Um that that those are my picks at this point. I would I if I had to pick, I would love to see the Texans figure some shit out. All right. Uh we're gonna go more in depth on these games with Bo when he joins us coming up later, but I I, I wanna talk one thing about each of these four games this weekend, just kind of hit on them real quick. One thing that stands out to me and Tom respond, go from there. Texans Ravens, Tom, that game for me, I feel like we're going to know who wins this game by the first quarter. Here's what I mean. 
The Ravens, they haven't played their starters in two weeks. Had a bye week last week, didn't need to play against the Steelers. If the Ravens play their game, if they look sharp, don't look rusty at the beginning, they're going to be okay. In fact, even if it's a close game, I think they're going to be fine. But if the Texans come out hot and come out firing and pick up from where they left off last week, then we got a ball game and maybe even edge the Texans. But if the Ravens do look like what we've seen all season, I, I think they'll be just fine. I think we're going to know everything we need to know about this game in that first quarter. I can see that. And you know what I also could see is Nick Fairborn is not the kicker Justin Tucker is. And I think it could come down to that. Um, I, I think we could see a game winner by Justin Tucker here. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Packers and 49ers. Packers looking to replicate exactly what they did against Dallas, uh, you know, a, a week ago. And you go into San Francisco. San Francisco's had two weeks off and all this. And what I want to see is, Tom, what kind of game does San Francisco get out of McCaffrey? Because to me, he is what makes their offense. If McCaffrey's playing great, then that opens up things for Brock Purdy with the other guys, with Kittle and Ayuk and, and all those others, right? It's if the Niners run the ball well, you can't beat them. To me, that's the key to this football game. If the Packers are going to have a chance, they have to do what they can, whatever, to take away Christian McCaffrey, essentially. Yeah. And if they can do that, then, uh, you know, I, th I think there's a good chance that the Packers could keep this close. And, you know, Dallas didn't lose in almost two seasons at home. And the Packers were to come, you know, were able to come in and and do what they were able to do. I will say that I think, you know, the coaching differential is a little bit different. I expect that type of um, shit to bed for Mike McCarthy, especially against his old team. I, I think that the 49ers still have it checked since, or you know, I, I still think they have it. It's kind of a rivalry, you know the. The Packers lost at home, granted with Aaron Rodgers, against those 49ers that went on to lose to the Rams um, in be it 20, like January of 2022, 2021, 2022 season. Um, but I, I think the Packers are kind of on a revenge tour. I think the chance that the Packers could upset are very high. Now, we heard from Fred Warner that he was very aware of what the Packers were able to do and kind of respecting their opponents. And I'm not saying Dallas didn't. I'm not saying Dallas didn't respect who they were playing. Um, but I think the the 49ers are – it's almost like a, a, a forewarning of like, hey, they just beat the shit out of Dallas. Let's not underestimate them. And I think we could see some of that. All right, let's go to Sunday's games. Bucks and Lions. Um, I think Baker Mayfield's going to play really well, to be honest. That Lions defense is a bit overrated. You look at their statistics, that's, that's the 23rd-ranked scoring defense in football. I think there's an opportunity for Baker to play well. I think this game's going to be closer than what people are giving Tampa Bay credit for. But – 
Tom, um, it's going to have to take a perfect game, like similar to Baker's performance that he had against the Packers a few weeks ago when he had a perfect passer rating on the road, 158.3. Mike Evans and company is going to have to be incredible here. Like, I think the Bucs are capable. They can go in there and win this game, but it's going to have to be a flawless type of performance here uh, for Tampa to have a chance. Oh, absolutely it will be, but I, I think they're I think the Bucks are the one to do it. I think Baker obviously has that just a type of a young he has Baker weirdly has like a young Matthew Stafford chip on his shoulder of like you know, I'm falling in big shoes and Baker kind of knew that going in that oh Brady's gone. This is our guy now. He's followed in those shoes, and they're playing better than they did last year. Uh, you, you go to Detroit, a team that we've already talked about, I think was a little bit dirty. I think that Lions team could very well have a hangover um, in terms of, you know, the, okay, they beat Matthew Stafford, and it's their first win in 30 years. It's very much like a bedlam hangover, I think, that could be in play for the Detroit Lions. I'm not going to say it is, but if it happens, I won't be shocked. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, think about it like a bedlam hangover. Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can see that. Uh, and then the Chiefs-Bills game, which I think is the best game of the whole weekend. Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, it is, I think, an important note here, Tom, that the overtime rules have changed since the last time these two teams bet in the divisional round. If this game were, or any game for that matter, go to overtime, even if there is a touchdown in the first possession, the other team is guaranteed to at least get a possession to respond, and then it'd be sudden death for, from there. Could be an important detail, potentially, uh, for this one. With that said... Um, I I think this comes down to who runs the football better. The the Chiefs, they've been at their best this year when they've run the football well. You cannot depend on that receiving core. I know Rasheed Rice played better last week, and you still have Travis Kelsey, one of the best tight ends in football and one of the best to ever play the game. But you look at the Bills last week, and what did they do so well? They ran the football with James Cook. And he was awesome on the ground against that Pittsburgh defense. And, uh, you know, credit to Joe Brady since he's taken over as that OC, the reestablishment, the commitment to the run game here. Uh, whichever one of these teams runs the football better, I think is going to win. If you're a Kansas City fan, I think you're hoping and praying that the Chiefs commit to Pacheco and Clyde Edwards Elaire because we saw last week when they did that, they were a whole different ball team and they dominated up front. That that's that's what I'm hoping for. If if you're rooting for Kansas City, you you got to hope that Pacheco and Edwards Elaire have a big day. Well, they have to, right? Like the running game has to do something for them because you know, like Josh Allen can one not only pass it but also throw it, um, and and get on the ground. I mean, he can he can do so many things. I think Patrick Mahomes can too. Um, but like we've talked about all season, um, the the absence of Eric Bieniemy, 
I think cannot be understated in terms of when you look at Chiefs teams from the past and you look at them now. Like that has to be that has to be under consideration. Um, and I think I think at the end of the day, I think the Chiefs still could make the Super Bowl, but if they don't, I think a large majority of the fact that they wouldn't would be from the absence of Eric Bieniemy. Yeah, they've missed having that adult in the room um, in that coaching staff and kind of these players have done whatever they wanted and nobody's been held accountable, and that's shown. Now, we'll see how that ultimately plays out this week, but yeah, I think Bieniemy probably not going to get a head coaching job this go-round, but will be a very sought-after OC uh, in uh, in this all these coaching rumors and all that. We'll, uh, we'll hit on the coaching rumors when uh, Bo joins us coming up later on in the uh, football fix. So uh, stay tuned for that. Um, we'll get to the Big 12 breakdown in uh, just a bit, but uh, I do want to hit on a couple NBA notes. It's been a while since we talked about what's uh, what's gone on in the association, but I do want to hit on those a uh, couple things. Uh, two things in particular, Tom. We'll start off with a big trade uh, in Indiana. Uh, Pascal uh, Siakam headed from the Toronto Raptors to the Indiana Pacers. And it does sound like he's going to sign an extension to stay with them long-term as well. We know how well Halliburton's played. He's looked good. You add uh, Siakam to the mix here. Indiana was already a good team. Now you added a star player like Siakam here. And and I really like their head coach, Rick Carlisle, uh, one of, if not the best coaches in the entire league here. That Indiana team sneaky good, and, and now I think you you got to mention Indiana if you weren't already as a threat to, to win the Eastern Conference now, Tom. Yeah, I mean you have the Bucks and and Lillard and and you know Dame playing as well as he is, and and Giannis doing what he's doing. Um, you know the Bucks are still there. The Celtics are playing great um, for the first time in a while. I think the parity is getting a little bit better. Um, in terms of the top three or four teams in the league um, being like we're going to have some of the best semifinals, in my opinion, that we've had in a long, long time. Um, I don't think I, I don't think the semifinals are anywhere of a blowout um, this time around. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. Yeah, yeah, I, I like the move for Indiana to, to get a guy like uh, Pascal Siakam here, and and that core they're building to me. This this is a this is a good deal, and, and I I honestly thought Tom that Siakam would go for more than what he did. I I think the Pacers got a pretty friendly deal of sorts to for what they gave up. I, I didn't think they overpaid at all. Jones, I think. The Raptors were looking for the best deal, you know, for them. And I think, I think uh, Masai for the Raptors, the owner, I think last season could have got a better deal. But, you know, they give up, they give up OG and OG, OG and Newbie and to the Knicks. Right. They get RJ Barrett in, in return with some other players. They give up. Um, you know, they give up Pascal Siakam and they get essentially like three first round picks. They got the return for Siakam and Anobi 
combined, they got like four or five picks, three great, pretty good players. I mean, the Raptors, they're starting to rebuild. You know, a lot of people, I thought it was pretty funny, kind of compared them to Spurs, like, because they had Kawhi, they won the championship. Kawhi left. They had a couple more good years, and then they were essentially fighting the plan. And that's kind of what the Raptors did. That's kind of what the Spurs did. And now they're in full rebuild again. Um, They don't have all of their first-round picks. I know that the Spurs, if if the Raptors don't have a – like it's top six protected – if the Raptors end up with a seventh pick, that can pay that conveys to the Spurs this year and would be the Spurs picking seventh um, from the Raptors. Um, I know they played the Bulls tonight as we are recording this. I don't know who won, but it was close the last time I saw it. The Raptors are in full rebuild mode. Yeah, Bulls won. For probably. what they got, for what they got, the Raptors did okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, you, you look at that. They were closer to the bottom than they were the top. They might as well just go ahead and embrace the tank, as they say, uh, as far as the Raptors' direction goes. Um, meanwhile, in Oklahoma City, Josh Giddy cleared of all charges as the investigation ends of the uh, uh, the statutory rape uh, allegations in California. Um, the witness was, uh, you know, the, was not cooperating with the investigation and they move on. The NBA is still going to continue in their investigation, despite the uh, police investigation ending. Um, but the Thunder have sounded very confident about Josh Giddy throughout this entire process and have not benched him or anything. They've moved forward and made their case known. Now, Tom, I'll, I'll say this. I would expect the league to probably be, you know, similar to, the police investigation that eventually that will get dismissed and probably no punishment of any kind for Josh Giddy when it's all said and done. But from a basketball standpoint, you look at this Thunder team and, you know, Josh Giddy, I think everybody agrees is a, is a good basketball player. And you know, the Thunder have such a bright future is one of the bright futures in this NBA, but Josh Giddy doesn't really bring much to what they are trying to accomplish in the sense of that there's not necessarily a great role for Josh Giddy on this Thunder team in their future. He's a traditional point guard and they have that SGA um, as is, and he's not that great of a shooter. And you look at what Cason Wallace has done from Kentucky, the rookie uh, who's come off the bench and played really well. Again, not really another need for Josh Giddy if uh, if we see Wallace continue to develop. I think now that this is cleared, if you're the Thunder, red deadline coming up, you or even maybe even the offseason potentially, you're starting to shop around Josh Giddy and and think, all right, what can we do to potentially get another scorer or or go get that big man that we need to play alongside Chet Holmgren? I think now that this is cleared, the Thunder can start thinking about their future. And, and trading off Giddy potentially. Hmm. I think they could too, and be interested to see who wants Giddy. Um, you know, now that he's cleared from this, I think 
his trade market opens a little bit more than, you know, previously, obviously. But um, he's, I don't know if he's, so he's a point guard, a bigger point guard. He reminds me a lot of a kind of a white Ben Simmons, right? Yes. Maybe not as problematic as Ben Simmons, but I think I think Josh Giddy's ceiling at the moment compared to the two he, could be a little bit higher on the right position. He reminds me of like Rajon Rondo. Yeah, big a big Rajon. I mean, very good passer, good ball handler, good rebounder. Just not a great score. And you know, I think with and, you know, and I think with the right team that he could. I think he's very like. You know, we hear we hear this with our group, our age group, with situationship. I think Oklahoma City and Giddy are in a situationship right now, and Josh Giddy needs to find a long term relationship. He's right. he's in a very friends with benefits relationship right like, now if, on Oklahoma City Thunder. If SGA, for example, was – if he was a shooting guard, this could work just fine. But the fact that, you know, SGA is a ball-dominant guy that needs to bring the ball up the floor and run the offense, it's it's just not ideal. Yeah, it's not going to end up working now. Um, You know, and and obviously, Giddy, you know, he, he doesn't really fit the timeline for the Thunder. And I, you know, the way he's played, the way he reacts, he's not outside of him fucking a sixteen-year-old. Um, hasn't allegedly had any problems. Do what? Allegedly, let's be clear. Alle- yeah, allegedly, um, hasn't really had any problem. He hasn't had any problem with his teammates or anything. You know, I think. He's a he's the type of player that I think you trade to the Wizards. Yeah. Yeah, maybe so. Um he, he looks like a Washington Wizard. Yeah, I, I, I think his time in Oklahoma City is is closer to the end. The end is near. Uh we'll see what they can get, some type of packets potentially, and whether it's a big man or another score, that certainly helped them a long way. Uh, one more NBA note that I want to bring up, and then we'll move on and get to our Big 12 breakdown this week, Tom. Um, the Phoenix Suns, who, you know, obviously were one of the biggest headlines of the offseason with, all with you know, bringing in Bradley Beal and all the moves they made. They're, they're sitting right now at the eighth seed at 22 and 18, just four games above 500. And the talk out of Phoenix today was that, this team still feels confident. They don't feel concerned at all. And, you know, I look at last season, you had an eight seed in the Heat get to the conference finals on one side, a seven seed in the Lakers get to, you know, the the semifinals in the Western Conference. Um, you know, I can understand where maybe you're like, ah, you know, CD doesn't matter, whatever, but Tom, those, last year was an anomaly. Like, traditionally speaking, you need to be a top four seed to show that you're for real. I don't buy into this that everything is A-OK and Kumbaya and Phoenix and all that. Like, I, I think that team's got issues. They got problems. I don't think KD's a leader. 
we've seen when teams are built around him, it, it has not worked. I, I have no reason to believe that, that this thing is all of a sudden going to turn around out of nowhere in Phoenix this year. No, well, it hasn't worked out for Phoenix for, uh, let me check my calendar, uh, forever. It's never <laughs> worked out for Phoenix. <laughs> never fucking worked out for Phoenix. And you got a snake and Kevin Durant playing for you. Let me just say this, and I'll be ready to eat crow if I have to eat crow. Devin Booker's not shit. I, I think Devin Booker's a clown. I don't think Devin Booker's that good. I think he's the most overrated player in the league. Yeah, when they say, oh, book, book this, book that, fuck book. <laughs> Devin Booker's not shit. You know what I'm saying? Devin Booker's not. Devin Booker's overrated as shit. He's in that Billy Everybody Donaldson act like I'm taking Trey Young. I'm taking Luka. I'm taking Kawhi. I'm taking Paul George. Um, in, in my eyes, Devin Booker might be the wild card on the Western Conference um, all-star team. I'm not going to say he's not good. I'd love to have him on the Spurs. Um, but no, Devin Booker's not the guy that leads you to – Devin Booker's not going to lead you to the promised land. Yeah, I agree. Devin Booker's not a leader. Devin Booker's not a leader. He's not a game changer. He's not a franchise game changer. Uh, Phoenix Suns, I don't give a shit how many points Devin Booker scores. If the Phoenix Suns have any ounce of respect for their entire franchise – Devin Booker is a great player that you mentioned and bring back. Devin Booker right now is not a player who you retire his jersey. No. No, I, I, absolutely not. Uh, I'm with you there, and uh, we'll see what happens with the Phoenix Suns, but I, I'm I'm selling this team. All the stock completely goes away. Um, we'll get to our uh, Big 12 breakdown next uh, with a look around uh, the Big 12 football basketball-wise. Uh, coming up in just a moment, Jared Sutton also going to join us a bit for a more Big 12 hoops conversation. Coach Bo standing by and Tom Fullery as well in a, just a matter of moments. It is the Big 12 breakdown. Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges here with you as we begin each and every week uh, with our hot takes around the Big 12. Tom, uh, which direction do you want to go this week? you want to go football or basketball? What are you leaning towards? You know, I'm going to go – I'm going to change it up here for you. Okay. So, I don't know if you've heard. We're going to do a whole different route. We do a lot of, obviously, men's basketball when we talk about the Big 12 turnaround from football to basketball. I'm going to go women's college basketball here. Okay. And I'm going to go with TCU. Okay. TCU, if you haven't heard – had to forfeit two games um, because they didn't have enough players. I guess some players were injured. Yeah. And I guess they were going to have on-campus or they are going to have on-campus tryouts. Yeah. When it comes down to the nitty-gritty at the end of the season and we get to the Big 12 championship game or the Big 12 tournament, I'm going to say the TCU Women's College Basketball wins the Big 12 women's college 
Big 12 tournament. Really? Uh, getting all their players back? That'd be quite the story. Um, I'll be honest, I haven't followed uh, the Big 12 wins basketball closely enough to make a pick one way or the other, but it'd be a heck of a story if they did. I believe they're pretty that, deep. That's my, that's my hot take this week. Okay. TCU women's college basketball is going to rise again. My my hot take this week, I'm going to go to the football front. Uh, and I'm going to go with a new Big 12 member. This, this could be the first hot take I have about a new Big 12 football member, Tom. I, I'm going to go with Arizona. And this was a team that a couple weeks ago we were talking about potentially making the college football playoff and being one of the favorites to win the Big 12 and all that. I think Arizona losing Jed Fish is going to be detrimental. Um, I think they're going to be lucky now to win eight games next year. It is falling apart quick. I always thought Jed Fish did a great job there in a short amount of time. Uh, you know, they looked really good against OU in that bowl game a couple weeks ago. Had the best season they had in a long time. A lot of hype, a lot of excitement. Now you lose the best coach you've had probably ever in the history of that program. And you've had in a 24-hour stretch 10 players enter the portal. It is falling downhill fast. If you're an Arizona fan, you got to be in panic mode that this thing is coming apart. I, I think the 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 wheels are are falling off fast in Arizona. They're, they ought to be in panic mode right now, Tom. Mm -hmm. I could see that. So you think they're going to pull Cincinnati? I I don't know about that bad. Like, I think they go from thinking they were going to win between 10 and 12 games to hoping they win eight or nine now. So you think they go from thinking one to four, one to four in the Big 12 to – Maybe six to nine, somewhere in that range. Yeah, I think it's going to be a, a fall for Arizona here. I mean, I, I think I I think you're right. I think I agree with you. I mean, you, I think Jeb Fish is a big reason why they were that good. And, and it, absolutely, he is. Because and, and here's the thing, Tom. Like when when you are a program like Arizona or Kansas or Kansas State, I think you got to be very self aware. The right head coach, you caught lightning in a bottle. It, if Kansas lost Lance Leipold tomorrow, and there was rumblings about him in Washington, that Washington was very interested in Lance Leipold. This very well could have been Kansas. Then all of a sudden, we're like, oh, no, here's the exodus. Like, you know, is Devin Neal gone? Is, you know, Jalen Daniels gone? You know, all these different pieces, you know, Lawrence Arnold, whatnot. I mean, we would be having the same exact conversation about Kansas right now. Kansas State, if Kleiman, and he was the name that came up for that job, if Kleiman would have gotten the Washington job, all of a sudden you're like, oh, no, what's going on with Avery Johnson and, and some of these other players here? Then it starts to fall off. Like, when you're not an elite program, you you, you got to do everything you can to keep these guys because you're just, you're just lucky to be up there, if we're going to be frank. You hit it. You hit a home run with that coach, and now you're just holding on like, you know, it's like grabbing the rope, just trying to hold on to a rope. Hang on, like, hey, don't take this. Don't let go. Don't let go. 
And in this case, Jed Fish let go of the rope, and now Arizona's in trouble. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you're if you're Arizona, kind of facing this right now. I mean, you could even take this back to OG Cincinnati. Like, okay, if Cincinnati, if Cincinnati doesn't make the big, you know, the the big four, if they don't make the playoff, is Luke Fickle still at Cincinnati? Um, if, if, uh, you know, if Arizona doesn't beat the dog shit out of OU is, or, you know, Jeb Fish's little come up, is he, is he leaving to Washington? Well, and and one thing we'll talk about with Bo here in a second, Tom, I don't think Jed Fish takes this job if Arizona and Washington were still in the same conference next year. No, I think you're right. You got one school going to the Big Ten, the other going to the Big 12. That makes it a whole lot easier to make this move. Like, you don't have to face the music in Tucson now. Um, well, and I don't think I don't think you give up an opportunity if if you're Caleb to, to uh, you know, go to Alabama. Like, worst case, you shit the bed. Best case, you have a, a crazy recruiting trail, and you do so well. I don't. I don't think you give up that opportunity to literally be the next in line after Saban, whether you shit the bet or not. If, right. if they call you up and ask you, "Hey, you want to be the next head coach of Alabama football?" I don't, right. I don't, no one's I blaming Kalen DeBoer for taking that job at all. No, no, no. I mean, and, and and I don't think anybody should blame Jed Fish at all for taking uh, the Washington job. He, he left for a better job, and best of luck to him. We'll see what happens. Um, one more Big 12 football note I want to get to this week. Um, Cliff Kingsbury, our old friend, former Texas Tech head coach. Uh, I still feel like he's he, he will always be a Big 12 guy uh, through and through Played at Tech, coached at Tech. Um, now the rumblings are that he's looking at NFL OC jobs and is the favorite to be the OC for the Chicago Bears. So we might have a Caleb Williams-Cliff Kingsbury pairing in Chicago potentially. Tom, um, I'd like to see Cliff come back to the Big 12 and be an OC. But I can't blame him at all. If he gets the opportunity to go work with Caleb and go be an NFL OC, that could be intriguing. I I, I would love to see an air raid scheme in Chicago. That would be a little different. Uh, yeah, I mean, air raid in, in, in Chicago would be a lot like um, – air raid in Chicago would be, you know, a lot like um, – I don't know. There's so many different comparisons. It'd be the craziest well. thing they've seen offensively since Mark Tressman brought his CFL offense to the Bears. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like to see, uh, you know, I I would like, and, and here's another thing, I would like Kingsbury in Chicago, even with Justin Fields. I yeah. think that I think that's low risk. I think Kingsbury in Chicago is, as an OC is low risk, high reward. 
Yeah. Yeah, I could see I that. Think you give it, I, I mean, as shitty as Chicago is, I think Chicago will stay with Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields is capable. They need other picks. They need other positions. I don't think that Caleb Williams is that much better than Justin Fields on any any given team in yeah. terms of talent. In terms of talent, that is. Right. Um, you know, like C.J. Stroud has kind of been a – you could call C.J. Stroud an anomaly because I don't think anybody was thinking he was going to be as good as he was. Um, and, and you know, you can shout out Nico Collins for that. Right. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I like if, – if, if Cliff Kingsbury goes to Chicago as an O.C., I don't hate it. Yeah. I'd like to see Tom, like I mentioned, you know, that he's still a big 12 guy thrown through. I wonder, like, I, I don't think Cliff is going to ever get another NFL head coaching job again. Um, no. I, I think Cliff's best case scenario is go be an NFL OC, hope it works out and then hope for another college job to open again. Um, and, and I'd like to see what he would do a second go around. If, if he could have like a, a Lane Kiffin resurrection of some sorts. If you brought him back to the college level, could could te- could players be like, yeah, this guy's been in the NFL. He knows offense, knows how to develop quarterbacks. I, I know things didn't work out at Tech the first time. In fact, he didn't. He did a bad job at Tech the first time. Um, but I, I'd be intrigued to see Cliff get one more shot as a college head coach. I wouldn't hire him personally, but I'd like to see it. I mean, he, he could go to like some shit like Western Kentucky or some shit. Well, even that, I'm not even saying that. Like, I, I, I want to see him in a Power Five job again. Just not not as a rooting interest, but I just want to see if he could in NIL and all that. If he could make that work, if he got a second shot. I mean, didn't Jim Trussell go to Western Kentucky? Uh, Jim Trussell. He, he went to Youngstown State. Okay, so oh, oh, that was okay. more like a retirement job for him. That was his hometown. Yeah. Do you think if Jim Trussell wouldn't have got caught up in that, where would if you know would he have been better? Like oh, yeah, yeah. on Jim, the all time. Yeah, Jim Jim Trussell gets forgotten about because of all that. Um, yeah, he was. A so great you think call. Cliff Kingsbury? Like you know he you 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 do make a good point. Because he's not going to get another NFL head coaching job, but Here, here's you look at point. you look at people comparable to him. How has Todd Munkin? How has Todd Munkin never got an NFL coaching job or or a college head coaching job? Well, NFL coach. This is his first great year as an NFL OC. That's that that'd be why on the NFL side. College wise, he left Southern Miss to go be a NFL OC. Um, so there's, there's a few things there, but here, here's the example I have. Okay. Um, Mississippi state, they hired Jeff Levy, right? Um, right. Does anyone think that Jeff Levy's a better coach than Cliff Kingsbury? Like I, I would have been much more interested to see what Cliff could have done, especially the same place his mentor, Mike Leach used to be at and everything too. Um, I would have looked yeah. <laughs> like Kingsbury could have done at Mississippi State. That'd be super interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what 
Kingsbury could have demanded in terms of payment outside of outside of Levy. I don't know what the details are. What's 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 Levy getting paid? Levy's not know? making a ton of money. Yeah, less less than OU. No, he's making more than he did as as OC at OU, but he's still not making a ton in the SEC compared to other coaches. Right. So it's a thought. It's an interesting thought for sure. Um, let's uh, let's move on. Talk Big Twelve hoops now. Uh, Tom, I gotta say, I had a great laugh at what UCF did, not just beating Texas in Austin, but the horns down and Rodney Terry getting so upset and telling UCF players in the handshake line to stop doing that. Stop doing that shit is what he said. Um, classless, classless. Classless. How, how small time was that for Rodney Terry? Just made a fool of himself. People already – are rooting against Rodney Terry because they feel like he's a fraud that got lucky. I told you I was. Fuck him. It's soft. He's a soft bitch. And now this, like, it, it's this is hysterical. Yeah, he's 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 fucking he's fucking soft. I don't give a shit what anybody says. It makes him easily hateable. Fuck his little soft ass. He's <laughs> he's Rodney. Rodney, and I'll tell, I'll, if Rodney Terry wants to call me. On my phone, he might not listen to this. I wish he would. He can call me on my phone and say, hey, little listen, Rodney, you're bitch, mate. I'll meet you at the Moody Center. I'll drive an hour just to tell you you're bitch, mate. Rodney Terry's bitch, mate. You don't even have any allegiance to Texas, Rodney. Not not any real allegiance. You're not Mac Brown. You're not even – you're not – you know, you're not even – you're not even Chris Beard. You're not even Rick Barnes. Get the fuck out of here. You haven't done shit. Like you went to I almost want to go elite off on a, Yeah, I almost want to go off on a uh, uh, Billy Donovan rant on Rodney Terry because that that's some, some bitch made shit. You think you're like win the game and then let's talk, right? Like, right. like, don't this this ain't Pop Warner. This ain't YMCA bullshit. This isn't NAIA shit. We don't. This isn't fucking upwards basketball. If you don't win, deal. You're you're Texas. You're a brand. You deal with you it. Lost, if you're not ready to, you lost at. If you're not ready to get your feelings hurt, then fuck off. You lost at home as an eight and a half point favorite to. To a new Big 12 school. A new Big 12 school, which is probably the worst basketball program of the four that came in. I mean, think about this with UCF, what they've done to shake things up since they joined the Big 12. This was not, there was not expectations at all for UCF this year. And they've already beaten the Kansas and Texas. They didn't look that good in the non-con. They're at 12 and 5 now. Um you know, UCF, I don't know what the end result is going to be, how things are ultimately going to shake out, but uh, you have my full attention. I, I'm I'm impressed with what I'm seeing from UCF here. I mean, I mean, let UCF have their flowers. Yeah. Let them have their flowers. Fuck Rodney Terry, in my opinion. I'll tell him that to his face, I promise. But on UCF's I end, mean, on UCF's end, like, Credit, credit where credit's due, because they weren't supposed to do anything, and here they are. 
I mean, they're doing a lot better. I mean, I don't know who their coach is off the top, but um, he's coaching a lot better than Mike Boyton is. His his team's playing for him. And yeah. Mike Boyden's team's not. Johnny Dawkins. I mean, I'm, I'm very critical of that. And Johnny like Dawkins Boyden, is their but, head coach. Johnny Dawkins is doing a really good job. He, uh, he was the same coach. When they had Taco Fall a few years ago and went to the second round of the tournament. So he's got a good track record. It's working out pretty good. As far you know, as Texas In my go. opinion, fuck Rodney Terry. If okay, you can't we handle, if you're, we get if it, you're the Texas. We get it, Tom. Hold on. Let's go. Let, let me look at Texas here for a second here. Um, you lose the UCF. You lost to West Virginia before that. You barely beat Cincinnati. You lost to Texas Tech. You're two and two in league play now. And listen to the gauntlet that's coming up for Texas. Baylor, number nine in the country. Oklahoma, number 15. BYU, number 20. Houston, number five. TCU, number 19. Iowa State, number 24. That is their next six or seven games here. It is going all down here for Texas. Uh, that, that is a team that should be very concerned right now. And what they're about to go through, uh, it's not getting any easier. No, and and it, what Rodney Terry did to complain about, oh, we're Texas, don't do the horns down. That's, you know, it, it's, it's one thing if you're a poverty school and, like, you know, don't do that to us, like, you know, don't don't be that person if you know, like, oh, you're, this sti- you're still on this. You're still on don't, this. Don't don't do that to us. We're a little bitch at school. You're fucking Texas. I don't. You got. You just you play in the Moody Center, which is one of the nicest facilities in the whole nation. Don't give me that. Oh, we're gonna get so offended by a. Tom, uh, Tom cannot know. get off this topic. Like we're talking about games now. He, he's still on this. Yeah, fuck Texas. I mean, <laughs> really though, like, I mean, is is Billy Donovan coaching this team? This is a Billy Donovan move. I, I, I got to move on. Uh, let's let's look at the uh, Houston Cougs who play UCF next. Uh, They're also in Texas, not too far from Austin. They. Uh, I'm kidding. Go ahead. They dominated Tech the other night. Beat them by 23 on a Wednesday. And uh, about to play UCF, play Houston after that. Lost a close one to TCU a couple nights ago. Um, got their welcome into Big 12 play. Lost to Iowa State before that. Um, TCU, or uh, Houston, we warned about this for months, Tom. We said, look out. Houston played a weak non-con. It's going to bite them in the ass when they get to Big 12 play. You lose to Iowa State and TCU back-to-back. I think that was the wake-up call they needed. Uh, You turn that around by beating Texas Tech by 23. I'm back now. I think Houston's back now, Tom. They needed that. They they needed that shellacking. I think Kelvin probably got their attention there. You think what what is their – What's their worst case scenario in terms of seating in the big dance? Three? Yeah, two or a three. Yeah. Do you think they could pull off a one? I think they could. If if they go on a run, if they win the Big 12, they'll they'll be a one seed. The winner of the Big 12 regular season crown 
has to be a one seed. Absolutely. And I, I think even I think even runner up, you know, probably wouldn't be a one seed, but is a is a guaranteed, you know, maybe a second 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 spot. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um let's talk uh Kansas now. The uh the Jayhawks just kicked Oklahoma State's ass on Monday. Yeah, you don't have to remind me. Dickinson looked he he's healthy. Ninety to sixty six. Dickinson looks fine. There was questions about the knee. He looks good. Twenty one points. Yeah, that knee looked rebounds. fucking great. <laughs> you, <know, laughs> you didn't know. I mean, oh, it hurts. I mean, I will say I did like that Connor Dow uh, got some attention from Jay Williams from being from Bo- Broken Arrow. That that was BA baby. That was the second favorite part of my night was uh was Dow from OSU getting recognized from being from BA. They did mention uh what's his name? I mean they mentioned Australia a couple times. Oh uh Furphy. Yeah, Furphy. I mean he got some play. I'll say this, you know, what do we said about this Kansas team, Tom? That one through four best lineup in the country they're stacked with you know dickinson adams harris and mcculler but they needed one more shooter and you look at furphy three three pointers the other night 15 points i think he was the missing piece that bill self was looking for if Furphy, is that a true freshman furphy he uh he's a true freshman um, I mean, yeah, he's 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 balling Josh Giddey's, uh presence there. If, if he can keep that up and be the missing piece Bill Self was looking for, there's your national title team right there. Yeah, because he he was playing he was he was playing Josh Giddy on pro. Uh, I mean, he's a better he, he's a hell of a lot better shooter than Josh Giddy is. He absolutely is. And he played like it too, and I'm like, oh my god! Like, can like can Kansas get any more just gifts? Like, oh, okay, yeah, like, oh yeah, well, we got this. Oh, we got this guy from Australia, no biggie. We, you know, we got the best player from Michigan in the transfer portal, and oh, okay, you know what's real like, cute? The Furphy story. They had never even talked to him in person. He'd never been to Lawrence until he was already, you know, signed his letter of intent and everything. It's kind of like... Uh, and they just brought him in. Like uh, Sfi Mikhailuk, who's now in the NBA. Sfi for three, similar name to, uh, you know, the to, to Murph three here. Um, Sfi Mikhailuk, you know, came from the Ukraine and they found him on YouTube and he had never been to America before, and he showed up when he was 16. So credit to the Kansas scouting department. They uh, they know where to find these international shooters here. Yeah, obviously. I mean, like, like Tom, we need, we need to find a way to, like, we need to make a highlight tape and say we're we're from, like, I don't know, like um, Lithuania or something, you know, and, and see if we get noticed. Yeah, we're, we're – uh, me and Jones will just – Take a winner off from getting tan. Oh yeah, we're from Finland. <laughs> Just only right. oh, yeah. when we're making baskets. Yes. Oh, we're from Amsterdam. Where? Oh yeah, we're at in Amsterdam. Like oh yeah, me and uh, 
we'll just put like an apostrophe over one of the letters in your names. And we'll be like, oh, yeah, we're from the red light district. I'm I'm Tyler Jonas. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, one more team I want to talk about. Even up with the Joneses brothers. One more team I want to talk about here, uh, K-State. Uh, we mentioned this K-State team dealt with a lot of adversity, a lot of controversy at the beginning of the year. Now here they are, 13-4. and four. Beat Baylor in overtime, big time win. Um, you know, beat West Virginia fine a couple weeks ago, dominated UCF. K State sitting at 13 and four. It's Rome Tang. He is the man. He is the real thing. Cam Carter's looking good. Cats are here. Cats are not going away quietly. This is supposed to be a down year for K State. And even all they've been through, Tom, cats are back. I mean, yeah, I mean, Drum Tang has had – Drum Tang is just – you know, you can't deny him. He's a bad bitch. And it, yeah, I mean, yeah, he kind of is. But don't you hate that? I mean, I know you got to hate it. It's just like, oh, my God, can we just like – mean they were supposed like, to go away quietly this year and have a down year, and he fi- finds a way. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's just like, oh, as a KU fan or just – even as a – you know, even as a Big 12 fan of like, okay, you can here, – here's here's what we have in the Big 12. If you're not a Big 12 fan uh, of a team or particular or anybody, you, you look at teams of like, okay, we don't really have to worry about them this year. They might make a little bit of noise, but not really. You look at K-State and you're like, oh, okay, at the beginning of the year, you're like, okay, well, you know, they might make it – you know, they might be a tournament team – they might make a little bit of noise, but it's not something we really have to worry about. Then drum tank comes in, comes in here, and you're like, fuck, fuck. You're like, ah. Like, I, I didn't think we had to worry, really worry about them. And you're like, oh, my God. And he, he's over here just ruining your whole off-season predictions. Like, he's just, and you're like, oh, are you kidding me? Like, Jerome Tang of all people. And you're like, oh, my God. Can we not, K-State? Can we really, like – you were the team that I was really counting on not trying to do anything crazy. And then K-State's like, ah, fuck your plans. <laughs> and you're like, ah, great. <laughs> like, no. Uh, this week's Big 12 slate. Uh, you got K-State taking on OSU, and then K-State's going to be just fine. Baylor takes yeah. on Texas uh, in Austin. I know it's it's still regular season, all that. I, I feel like this is a must-win game for Texas this weekend, in all honesty. OU and Cincinnati on ESPN Plus, for whatever reason, very good game in Cincinnati. That's a that's gonna be a, a hostile environment. I think that'll be a fun game. OU at 14 and 3, Cincinnati at 13 and 4. Houston and UCF in Houston. I think Houston's gonna handle business. TCU and Iowa State, that game in in Fort Worth, that should be a really good matchup. Two top 25 teams. KU plays at West Virginia. I know K, uh, West Virginia's had a down year and everything, but Morgantown's still a tough place to play. Um, and then BYU and Texas Tech, two top 25 teams. That game in Lubbock, I think that'll be a really good game here. Um, what game has the most interest for you this weekend, Tom? For me, it's I, I think it's that – Iowa State-TCU game. I, I'm intrigued to see those two top 25 teams collide here in Fort Worth. 
I think so. And, and, you know, there's, there's some like, well, you know, there's, I feel like there's a little bit of, I don't know what it is about it, but there's, there's a little bit of, there's, there's not the top teams, right? There's not the top teams that we have to figure out about. There's the, really more like the four, five, and six teams that we can really figure out about this weekend. Right. Um, yeah. And I, I think that's what we're really looking at. I, I mean, so. K-State's going to be Oklahoma State. I think Baylor goes to Moody Center. I think Baylor, For I, I and this will say a lot about our little bitch-ass friend and head coach of Texas. I, I, I don't ever root for Baylor. But after seeing the, oh, this is classless, this is whatever, oh, I think we're going to see Baylor beat Texas. I, I want um, to see Baylor win. Houston, I want to see Baylor win and throw the horn. Everyone throw the horns down on on midcourt. Oh, I, I hope so. I hope they put it. I hope they spray paint it on the side of the building. Um, if I had to pick a game, I mean, you you picked Iowa State TCU. That's great. Low-key, I want to see UCF going to Houston and beat that ass. Yeah. I, w- I want to see that. Uh, you know, Mike Boyd needs to be fired at OSU. Uh, you know, I might not be the first person to say that, and I'm not going to be the last person to say that. It needs to happen. Um, we, You know, we watched that game on Tuesday. And, it, and, you know, I've seen a lot of people say, you know what, it's not even Mike Boyden's total fault. It is a fault a little bit for him, but that team doesn't look like they really give a half-ass shit, um, to be fair. And, you know what, if, if UCF is going to be the surprise team, you know what, if it's not Oklahoma State shaking shit up, I hope UCF goes in and, and womps on Houston. Um, and I think they have a good chance. They have a good – they have a lot of good momentum going. They do. They got a lot of good momentum. One more final note before we bring in Jared Sutton get his thoughts on everything going on in the Big 12. I am happy to report that the much-anticipated return of Big Monday is this Monday as we will have – Cincinnati making their first trip to Lawrence as Big 12 members to take on the Jayhawks on Monday night. Big Monday, ESPN, Boog Shambi's back. Uh, I think uh, Fran Fraschilla, Boog and Fran, the lovely Chris Budden, everybody, uh, all is right in the world again. Big Monday back on ESPN. Nothing like it, Tom. My, My favorite night of the week. You like Big Monday more than Super Tuesday. I do. I do. Big Monday. Yeah, you know, I, I can eight get o'clock, down with it. Eight o'clock Big Monday games on Espen doesn't get better than that. Um, although Super Tuesday is pretty good this week, too. You got uh, OU Texas on ESPN, uh, six o'clock on Tuesday, TCU OSU on ESPN 2 at eight o'clock. Uh, UCF West Virginia and uh, Houston BYU on ESPN Plus. Houston BYU is a top 20 matchup, and that's on ESPN Plus. 
I, I, next year, by the way, I was telling somebody this today. Next year, Fox and FS1, they're going to start airing some Big 12 basketball games. I cannot wait for them to get involved in this league soon enough so we can stop having games on ESPN Plus, at least less games. What games on TV? I, I don't want to have to open up a game. Yeah, Houston, BYU. Imagine if that was college football. Right. Oh, yeah. We're going to have to watch that game in ESPN Plus. Like, oh, great. Yeah. Uh, more to come. Jared Sutton going to join us. Coach Bo going to stop by later on. Tom Fullery as well before we get out of here. Jared Sutton joins us next. Join us now on the program this week. Please to welcome in. It is none other than former Mizzou Tiger and uh, professional basketball scout with the New Orleans Pelicans. Jared Sutton, who joins us on the program right now as uh, we talk Big 12 hoops and Jared, always a pleasure anytime that we get the chance to chat, my friend. I know we'll talk plenty of hoops, but I know you got to be pretty excited about the uh, the Chiefs in this matchup with the Bills here this weekend, man. Thanks for having me as always, man. Yeah, I'm very, uh, very excited for, for the Chiefs being a born and raised Kansas City and living here now. Um, really excited for, for KC and Mahomes' first road game um, and against a, a rival like the Bills. They've given us some some great playoff games in the past and, you know, don't expect anything, uh, anything le- less than that uh, coming up on Sunday. So excited for that game. Oh yeah, no doubt. No doubt for sure. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, certainly hoping for a, a Chiefs win here. Uh, Jared, uh, let me ask you, let's uh, start with uh, the Kansas Jayhawks there uh, in, in your neck of the woods. Uh, interesting start to uh conference play with that UCF loss a couple weeks ago, but then uh, you look at what they've done. I, I think with, that Oklahoma State game the other night, did I know Oklahoma State's not anything to write home about. Did that feel like a, a breakthrough performance, the way they dominated there? What would you make of what we've seen from the Hawks as of late? Yeah, I think they looked great. It's, it's a you know, good bounce-back response from them, um, you know, for, for Kansas to go on the road. And, and Oklahoma State, you know, it's, it's not an easy place to play. I, I know, you know, the atmosphere wasn't like what we've seen um, in years past in Gallagher-Iba. But, um, you know, for them to kind of really put it to – uh, Oklahoma State and, and lead wire to wire and um, I think the emergence of Johnny Furphy is great uh, the fact that he is starting um, I was kind of curious if that would be the case just with um, El Marco going through some of those freshman struggles and trying to find himself and maybe taking a little bit pre- a little bit of pressure off of El Marco to bring him off the bench um, and coach self went to that uh, pretty quickly um, especially after the UCF game um, so you know, all in all, I think, you know, Coach Self and this team trying to, you know, figure out themselves and, and answer some questions here in January, early on in league play. Um, you know, the, obviously it's all about the buildup uh, when it comes to Kansas and playing your best basketball into February, give yourself a chance to possibly win the league, um, but ultimately try to figure out more about your team once you get to March, which is the ultimate, um, you know, barometer and the goal for, for this Kansas team is to get to a Final Four. Um, and can they do that? Uh, with this roster, can they get some bench production? Can they find some shooting? Those type of things. Um, and trying to press the right buttons, find the right rotations. But ultimately, with Kevin McCuller and Hunter Dickinson, those two guys have played at All-American levels. Um, and it's a big reason why Kansas is what they are. They have a dominant center. They have a great wing uh, in Kevin McCuller. Uh, and then they have a point guard in Dewan Harris that is a very good pass-first creator, creative point guard they can do a lot of things, both offensively and defensively. Uh, so when you got three older guys that know how to win, that have been in big moments, uh, that always bodes well for a team uh, and should set up Kansas pretty well as they go through this year. 
Well, Jared, uh, I got to ask you, you know, you mentioned uh, Johnny Furphy and the way he played the other night. Um, the theme for this Kansas team, it feels like for the non-con was, hey, one through four, McCuller, Dickinson, Adams, Harris, that's as good as any team in the country, one through four. But they were still missing that other shooter to kind of complete the lineup. Johnny Furphy kind of reminds me a bit of Steve Mackay Luke to a, an extent. Uh, do you think he was kind of the missing piece that they were looking for in this offense? Yeah, I mean, I think when they when they landed Johnny, you know, it was, it was late in the game. Um, Johnny's a very smart basketball player, first and foremost. Um, that's why I, I do kind of like the Svee, um comparison, just because of just the IQ and the ability to understand shooting within the Kansas offense, uh, how to find your shot, be efficient with your shot. Um, but, you know, J- Johnny's got great size. I mean, positional size. He's got length. He's a good athlete. It does have to get stronger. I mean, he's a freshman that – you know, can't be a freshman. You know, he's got to grow up pretty quick. Now he's starting. Um, I just thought, you know, the efficiency in the Oklahoma State game was what really jumped out, uh, and the fact that he was on the glass having seven rebounds. Um, you know, Hunter's going to clean up most every rebound. He's such a dominant rebounder in the college game. Um, you know, really, really a, a sound rebounder, right around 12 rebounds a game. Uh, you know, that's up there with Zach Eady and, and those guys that, that really rebound the ball to high level. So for a freshman to come into a game, get seven rebounds and really make an impact, that's that to me is doing other things than just making shots. He went three of four from three, and that's obviously why he's in the starting lineup. Um, it's to be aggressive, finding his jump shot because he's got a smooth, natural release. He can shoot it off movement. He can shoot it off the catch, um, and just a really smart basketball player when he's out on the floor and playing off of Dewan and playing off of Hunter and playing off Kevin. Knowing those guys are probably going to be your top guys. How do you incorporate yourself into that? I think that's something maybe Almarco struggled with a little bit. Now, Almarco, he can defend. He's a great defender. Uh, he can guard one through three. He can switch out. Great athlete. Um, so, Almarco has a, has a role on this team, don't get me wrong, but it, Johnny's offensive game um, and really just how he translates right now um, gives him kind of that bump um, and why he played 33 minutes the other night. He's earned those minutes. Um, and the fact that he was even – you know, I just think just using his size, like he had a couple blocks in the Oklahoma State game where he's reading a play as a secondary weak side help guy pulled in uh, and just know, knowing where to be and just being active uh, and using using his size in other ways than, than just shooting. And I think that's kind of been the evolution of Johnny so far this season. He's not just a shot maker. He can do some other things, uh, kind of similar to how C was in those first two years at Kansas where, you know, there was more to him than just being a shooter. And then by the end of his career, he was a lethal shooter, but he was also a scorer and can do a lot of things defensively too. So more to come from Johnny Furphy. I think he's going to be a really good player and, and Kansas really needs him to be good um, to kind of be that fourth, fifth punch uh, where the, he can score it and, and obviously add to the shooting piece for this team as they go into March. And he's just a freshman, but he's showing some really good signs right now for Kansas. Yeah. yeah he looks the part for sure. Uh, as you're evaluating from the, uh, scouting perspective and potential pro talent. I know Kansas got some older guys that played college basketball for a bit, but what do you see in this Kansas team of some uh, potential pro potential here, Jared? Yeah, I mean, Ke- Kevin McCullough jumps out of just his improvement. Um, you know, there's a reason why he went back to Kansas, very similar to, to Jalen Wilson and Ochai Baji, um, you know, shooting 36% from three. It's a career high for him. It's on more volume, too, um, you know, close to four attempts a game. So he's shooting it really well. But I just think the improved playmaking uh, is what really jumps out, too. It's not just the shooting. 
Um, he's shown way more off the bounce in terms of being able to make plays for others, uh, averaging close to five assists a game. He's always been a great defender um, with his size and his athleticism and his length. Uh, he's very intelligent. He's highly competitive. He plays with a ton of fire. He's got a great motor. He never takes a possession off. And that's something we've known from Kevin, even dating back to his days at Texas Tech. I mean, that's why it was such a great fit when he committed to Kansas a couple of years ago, as he fits how Bill Self plays. And he fits a Bill Self type of player um, when you talk about how he can guard, number one, um, and how he can impact the game on the glass. But I also think just his ability to play in transition, get to the free throw line, aggressive downhill driver, um, and really just finding that offensive uh, punch that he really didn't have. He sort of played a role in years in the year past at Kansas. Um, Jalen was the guy. Grady Dick was their big shooter. Uh, and he had to kind of play a role off of those guys. And this year it's his team, and he knows that, and he's playing that way. Hunter as well, but Hunter Hunter's more of a newcomer. This is Kevin McCullough's team, uh, and that's why he came back, is to fulfill that role that Jalen left. And he's kind of taken, it, taken that role and ran with it. And you're seeing some of these areas where he's really improved. And it's very similar to how Jalen Wilson improved, um, which is a testament to Coach Self and his staff um, and really pressing the right buttons. And this is why you come back. This is what makes college basketball so great. I was just listening to uh, Coach Underwood at Illinois talk about Coleman Hawkins, who had a great night last night. And he's a returner uh, and playing some of his best basketball. And he had plenty of opportunities to maybe go to the league and enter the draft. And he went back to school and he's improved in areas. Kevin McCullers the same way, and Kevin's really helped himself in terms of his stock going up and increasing from the years past. When we, we've always evaluated Kevin as a prospect, but now he's he's more in an advanced advanced you know mindset mentality wise right now, where you can really see it of what he could be at the next level. Yeah, certainly, certainly. So let me ask you about the uh, Houston Cougars. Uh, so much hype about them as uh, they enter the Big Twelve in their first year this year. Uh, Non-conference schedule was a little soft, I felt. They go into conference play, and they've already been handed two losses. Uh, Jared, kind of a wake-up call of sorts uh, for, for Houston, just adapting to how tough this league is. I, I feel like everybody's almost, in a sense, kind of taken that with uh, the upsets we've seen the last few weeks. Eight teams in the top 25, most ever in league history. Uh, Houston uh, kind of taking a gauntlet of sorts here to begin conference play. Yeah, welcome to the Big 12, right? I mean, you know, Coach Sampson's no stranger uh, to the Big 12, but it is, you know, they're, they're a very good basketball team. Losing Terrence Arsenault was a was a good lot was a big loss for them. Um, you know, just a guy that could could really impact the game on both ends, and um, a guy that they're really excited about going into the year. But you know, they're a good team, they're a 15 win team. You touched on the non-con. Um, yeah, I, I always kind of look at a lot of the those advanced anal analytics. Um, the strength of schedule is is, is debatable uh, in the non-con, but they, they did have some some, some quality opponents. Um, their adjusted offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency is very high. It's why they're one on on the on the Ken Palm ratings. I know everybody goes to that as as if it's like gold, but you know it, it is true. Like they they are um, analytically a very solid team, and just how they guard, um, how efficient they are on offense. But I do think there is the adjustment to the Big 12. I, I totally see that. I was at their Iowa State game, and Iowa State just gets after you defensively, you know, and playing in a place um, like Hilton where it gets so loud and the fans feel like they're on top of you. It's just an adjustment. It's a different different type of game. And um, I always say, you know, when you're in the Big 12, having played in the Big 12, you're in the family. And when you're in the family, you know, there's the tendencies that, people, that coaches know about you, the players know about you. 
Um, and it's just a different level. Um, and it's night in and night out. Uh, you touched on, I mean, when you pull up the Big 12 standings, it's just so funny to me when you look at the overall records of all these teams. I mean, we always talk about how, how loaded the Big 12 is. This is the most fun I can remember going into the league where I was so excited to watch the Big 12 this year because they just have so many good teams. I mean, BYU, I would not want to play in the NCAA tournament. I think they're that sneaky team that can pull the, those upsets. They have size, they have skill, they have guard play, they have forwards, they have depth, and they're 2-2 two and two in the Big 12. You know, they're right in the middle of the pack. And they're a dangerous, dangerous team. Oklahoma's a dangerous team. They got really good guard play, uh, and they got athleticism, and they kind of have a modern small ball type of feel to them. Um, Cincinnati's new to the league. I don't think they're any, any sort of slouch. And then we've seen UCF, who's pulled some upsets and, and are right there. Um, they've had some big wins. Kansas State's off to a great start. So but the point being, I mean, it's just such a good league. And I think Houston is a very good team. They're an NCAA tournament team. They have that, that program, has that tradition now. There, there's a culture that is built there at Houston. Um, but it is an adjustment of, of just going up against Big 12 competition and legit basketball teams night in and night out in league play. There is no easy game to be played. It's an adjustment. It's much different. And I think they're getting a little taste of that here to start the Big 12. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think you make a good point. Uh, what about the Baylor Bears? Uh, number 19 in the country, 14 and three. Obviously got some good players when, when you talk about four guys in double figures uh, point-wise with Walter, Dennis, Love, and Bridges. They've tested themselves in that schedule, losing to Duke and Michigan State, but getting a win against Auburn. Big game coming up against Texas this weekend here. Uh, what's your thoughts on kind of the Bears and the team that Scott Drew has there? Yeah, very talented team. Um, Ray J. Dennis is a really good lead guard, um, great passer, um, probably you know, needs to cut down a little bit on the turnovers, I think is, is what he would say, but he can score it as well. Um, but I, I really like their, their two freshmen, Jacoby Walter and Yves Missy. Um, Yves is a legit rim protector, um, you know, plays pretty much spot minutes right now. He's probably 20 minutes a game, uh, but can really impact the, the game around the rim uh, in terms of rim protection, finishing, uh, very mobile, light on his feet, uh, can really change ends really well. And they got a pretty solid bench. Um, you know, you look at a lot of the, those forwards that can come off the bench and, and play spot minutes. Um, they got good guard play. Jalen Bridges is back. Langston Love is healthy and back. Langston shooting 48% from three. He's a big-time shooter. Um, you know, they, I mean, Jaden Dunn, really good shooter, 41% three-point shooter. And then Jacoby for a freshman. Um, you know, he's had a couple hiccups here and there. where He's had some games where he struggled. The K-State game, you know, Jacoby didn't really play that well. And Baylor as a team really didn't shoot it well. And they were in that game. And it's an overtime game. But they really didn't shoot the ball that well. And you're not going to really see that night in and night out with Baylor. They're a really good shooting team. Um, Jacoby is very efficient uh, in terms of being able to get a shot off. He's great off movement. Um, and he's got extended range and just really, really dynamic on, on offense of just being able to play with it and without the ball and then his ability to defend too. So I like the versatility of Baylor. Scott Drew always kind of builds his teams around having three guards um, that one can be, can play the point and create and make plays for others having shooting around that and then having athletic bigs. And he's got that. Um, this is kind of the, what, what he envisioned with this group. And I think they're a dangerous team. No question. I mean, you mentioned, you know, right now they're three and one, they got a tough test against Texas. Texas is no slouch at all. They're very talented. They've gotten off to a terrible start, um, but they're very dangerous and they're very capable of getting right back into this thing. 
we can look up. It can be mid to late February. And I, it wouldn't shock me if Texas goes on a little bit of a run because they do have a bunch of pieces um, and they're just as athletic and, you know, have, have veteran players and they have all the pieces to get back into this thing. Um, but Baylor's a dangerous team. And I was at that Duke game where that was back and forth and, and Duke was not desperate, but they really needed that um, win. And you could tell Baylor gave them everything they could get or they, everything they could have. Um, but a, a team that, that shouldn't be overlooked by any means, a 14 and three record um, and really talented and a team that can impact the game, not just with the scoring, but their defense when they're locked in, that's when they can really make games ugly uh, when they defend. Well, and Jared, I think an interesting point too, when it comes to Baylor, there was the big question about after they won the national championship, is this thing sustainable? It was the COVID year they won it. And, you know, was Baylor going to be able to stick around and you open up this new arena. They've been consistently a top 10 team every year since then. I mean, it's pretty remarkable what, what Scott Drew has done to uh, sustain sustain success there how how have they been able to pull this off and continue to be consistent like they are now well they recruited really well um you know I, I i think when you look at after their national championship um losing those guys i think when you draw back to even before you know the davion mitchells and the jared butlers came through you know they, they really even i look back on the perry jones quincy ac quincy miller teams uh when i was in school you know 11 12 are good Baylor teams. Um, and it just felt like an evolution to this program. Um, and Scott Drew has his you know hands all over this now. Obviously, the, the assistants and, and the coaching staffs um, that have done that, it's not just Coach Drew. That, that entire staff um, has been tight-knit. Um, you know, Waco wasn't the easiest place to recruit. Um, and really trying to identify players um, that had athleticism, that had length, uh, that might have been raw in terms of skill set. I think their player development is high level. I think it's one of the best developmental programs in the country. Um, now, now they're starting to capitalize on finding those one and done talents. Um, they've they've hit on some of those. Uh, I think they got two probably on their roster right now that is in this conversation. But they've developed guys that have returned. Uh, that player retention piece that coaches always talk about. Coach Drew's done that. Um, he's got a few guys on this roster this year that have returned and, have, and he's also hit the portal like every coach has to do to find those those missing pieces that can kind of complete the roster um so they've done a really good job over and they identify talent really well i, I think that's something they, they not just guys that can come in and play right away but guys that they believe in year two year three and can they keep those guys around um the langston loves the jalen bridges um you know those guys have, have jonathan's chachua like those guys have, have stuck around um, and I think it's important. I think it's, it's why Baylor's been able to build a culture and it's sustained. It's a winning culture. Um, and their formula has been really good. And they've just kind of added to it. Um, and they've, they've evolved really well, too, in the NIL space. Uh, I, I was curious how that would go. And, and they've hit the ground running. They're, they're very proactive as a staff. Um, they're very in front. Um, they're not a reactive coaching staff. They're a very you know, progressive coaching staff um, that is proactive. And I think that's a big part of why they've continued to have success and why they've always been right there at the top in the Big 12 and a team that, that really is dangerous come March every year. Oh, absolutely. Jared Sutton uh, joining us here uh, on the program, uh, New Orleans Pelicans scouts, uh, former Mizzou Tiger, talking uh, Big 12 hoops right now. Uh, Jared, I, I got to ask you about the Oklahoma Sooners sitting at 15 in the country, four and three. 
Uh, I know that this was going to be a big year for Porter Moser. Uh, a lot of pressure ending this year as they hadn't really done much, relatively speaking, in his first couple of seasons in Norman. Here they are, got a top 15 team. Uh, McCollum's been solid, Owe, uh, among others there. It took a little bit of time, but looks like Oklahoma basketball is back to being a a, a force again, uh, as we've seen from this program for years and years. Never won a national championship, but always been a a kiss consistent force, and uh, they're back back to it once again. Yeah, they really are. And I, you know, the the thing that you got to give Porter Moser and his staff credit for is, I really do think this this team reflects how Porter Moser coaches. Um, like I go back to you know, his Loyola Chicago days and the final four team. And I had to have a chance to play against a couple of those guys uh, that were on that final four team. And he's got one on staff as an assistant at Oklahoma. And, you know, the, the big thing about OU is they, they are a good defensive team. And when you look at them in terms of like being able to, to withstand, you know, length and size, like they, they kind of offset that by having strength and athleticism at the four and the five. Um, Jalen Moore was, was such a you know, good get for them um, in terms of his ability to move his strength. Um, they do, they, they can go big, but they really don't want to do that. Um, you just mentioned Owe, you know, it's a 26 minute per game player, but like really good defender and versatile, like can switch. And that's something that I think this team has really embraced is I went and watched them practice earlier in the year. And you could, you look at them and you think, man, they're, they might, you know, get exposed in terms of going up against size. And really they offset that really well because they have athletes and they can switch one through five and they got guys that can guard multiple positions. Um, and JV on the call has been great. There's no doubt about that. Like he's a very dynamic scorer. Um, I've been really impressed with his playmaking too. He's been a very good passer. He's been efficient um, and he's got to be aggressive, but he also takes good shots within the structure of their offense. And then Milos, who's on, who I, I think has had a solid year. I, I, I don't think it's a year that he would say, you know, is, is best year. I think there's still more to come for Milos Suzan because he's been, you know, a good point guard, but I think he can even score it even better than what he's shown. Um, so it's almost like where Oklahoma sits right now, you know, I, I think they can, they look at themselves and think, man, we, we could be a little bit better. I mean, we're, we're two and two in league play and they're 14 and three overall. Um, but I think they expect to be there in that top four. Like I, I think they, they know that they're a good team. Um, and they've had some games where they haven't played up to the standard that they are capable of playing at. Uh, but you said it, like, I, I think they just embrace really who they are. Um, you know, they're a top 20 team in Ken Palm because they, I think defensively, their defensive rating is pretty solid. And then offensively, you know, they've been a little bit up and down. Um, but I, I think defensively, like they've been a really good defensive team for the most part all season. And I think that's where they really hang their hat on. That's, that's Porter Moser. That's the identity of this team because their defense is going to travel and that's what they want. And they know they might be a little bit undersized, but they know if they defend and they guard and they have some shot makers, they have some guys that can create and create separation and, and get their own shot and they can make threes. They got good shooting. Um, if they, if they're good enough on offense, they got a chance to win every night in the big 12, but doing that on a consistent basis is something they're going to have to do. If they want to get through this big 12 slate, they're two and two right now. And I think they know they, they need to be in that top tier uh, to really kind of feel comfortable about where they go in March. Well, Jerry, it's an interesting story uh, when you look at Oklahoma of the fact that, you know, everybody looks for the instant gratification, the expectations of a quick turnaround with this transfer portal and the college basketball end of things. But Porter is doing things 
his style is totally different from what they did from Lon Kruger, uh, their their previous head coach, who, who did a fantastic job there. This wasn't going to be an overnight transition. This thing was going to take time, and they're, they're seeing the fruits of their labor pay off here. No question. Um, it's a great point. I mean, I think it's not just Oklahoma either. I mean, there, I think there's a lot of programs that kind of fit this mold, and it is an instant gratification kind of society we live in, and um, you know, especially in the NIL space uh, where everybody thinks, well, you should just retool your roster and you get transfers. Um, and you should be good to go. And, and recruiting still matters. I mean, you still have to recruit the high school scene. Um, and every year, your team could look much differently. And it's true. That's a good thing. Um, you can add pieces to make your program better and more solidified. You can also lose pieces where, you know, you, can you have your locker room, you know, locked in and dialed in? And, and can guys fit and gel together? That's still a part of basketball. Um, you know, if you're getting guys in high in the high school scene in the recruiting front, if you're getting guys in the portal, that still has to gel, and that can take time. Um, and sometimes, you know, you're trying to develop guys um, who might still be a little bit raw, that might have some athletic traits or some athletic tools or size, um, and that can take time. And I, I think some of that, uh, you know, Milo Suzanne was a solid player last year, and he was a guy that had some really good moments and some flashes. Um, and needed another year. Uh, and other guys, like, like getting JV on the column, who can really score the ball, he's definitely hungry to prove himself at this level, at the Big 12 level. Um, so, you know, it, it's putting these pieces together and making sure they can fit, and that's a whole, whole part of recruiting. Um, and it is about being patient, too, with that. And I think Oklahoma has, I mean, if you talk to them at the beginning of the year, they knew that nobody was talking about them. I think they had a belief, like, I think we could, they, they, could, they thought they could be good because they had guys that knew how to play, number one, um, that had a competitiveness to them um, and knew how to defend and wanted to guard and, and wanted to win. And I think that's the biggest thing is they, they have a buy-in with everybody uh, on that team that I think that really helps when you're trying to put a group together that might be different, pulled in different, you know, from different places, and whether it be you know, mid-major, whether it be from the high school scene, putting that together and making that fit. Um, and, and really like they got off to a great start. They've had a couple losses here that I think they would want back where they struggled. Um, but they're a good group and they stick together. They play hard. Um, they're well coached. They execute really well. Um, and like I said, I think their defense is solid and that's important. Like I, I think they can rest assured they're going to be a good solid defensive team. Um, they're a, they're a defensive team by a unit. It's not just one guy. It's all five guys locked in and communicating and, and kind of uh, built that together. Um, but a team that should, should really you know, make some noise, I think, in, in college basketball this year, if their offense can withstand and stay efficient uh, and they can still continue to get production from Jalen Moore, from Uzan, from right. Sam Goodwin, some of these guys that come off the bench, then, that, then I think they'll have a chance. Uh, one more team I want to ask you about, uh, and then we'll talk just kind of big picture about the league here. K State uh, at thirteen and four. What what a just an incredible job that Jerome Tang has done last year. Shocked the world, going to the Elite Eight uh, last season, and then this year here they are with uh, losing a lot of guys. The adversity that they face. Uh, obviously, we know about the uh, Daquan Tomlin situation and uh, everything that endured there. And here they are again, right there in the thick of things. Uh, how, how does how's Jerome Tang pulled this off uh, again, Jared? Well, I think it starts with just how Jerome Tang, you know, his, his presence, um, his energy, 
his positivity, uh, his encouragement with guys. I think how he's handled everything that took place with Naquan Tomlin. Um, you know, they're they're moving on past that. That was a that was a tough situation. There's no doubt about it. Um, I think it was tough just because I think there was so much unresolved there with Naquan that there was a lot of thoughts that he was coming back. Uh, so it's sort of like a you know kind of withstanding until he came back, and then now they're moving on without him, and they have to do that. And they're improving. I, it feels like they're getting better and better every time I see them. Um, and that's a testament to the coach and the entire staff. There's no question about that. And if you go to a K-State practice, like Jerome Tang's energy, um, how he coaches, um, it, it's it's really electric, I guess, is the word I would try to use. Is he, he just he brings it every single day. What you see is what you get um, with Coach Tang. And I love that about him. Like he's himself and guys really buy into that because um, he's very authentic. He's very transparent. Um, you talk about the guys they lost last year on that special team they had. Um, those are two, you know, really great players. And I, I think they're trying to kind of retool this team because it was a team that was built around Naquan Tomlin. And they were going to play differently this year than last year because of Naquan. Now they're going back a little bit, it looks like, to how they played last year, where they have Tyler Perry, who I don't, I think Tyler hasn't shot at actually how he's capable of shooting the ball. And he's still a 15-point-per-game scorer. He's still averaging five assists a game um, and really doing a nice job of playing that, that role of being a point guard that can not just, you know, score the ball but can do things off the bounce and get others involved. The emergence of Cam Carter, I think, is very much a testament to the staff. Um, yeah, I've watched Cam Carter over the years. He's gotten so much better at Kansas State. I mean, he's close to a 17-point-per-game scorer. He's always been a defensive stopper. He's always been great on that side of the ball. Now you're seeing his offense come around, uh, his confidence levels through the roof. And that's a testament to Coach Tang and the staff. Um, Arthur Kaluma, another guy that was a transfer, shooting 40% from three. Um, gotten so much better in terms of scoring the ball and just playing to his strengths, not trying to do too much, making spot threes, straight line driving the ball, being an impact on the glass, helping David Nagesson on the glass, averaging close to eight rebounds a game. Like Guys are stepping up. Um, in terms of Naquan leaving, everybody's elevating their games. Um, they're getting production off the bench, uh, you know, with Dorian Finister and McCall uh, Rich, Day-Day Ames. I think Day-Day is kind of the future point guard at Kansas State, the Chicago guard. I really like him. He's a down-the-road starter, but he's getting so much great experience playing 20 minutes a game off the bench and really doing his job um, for a freshman. All of this being said, this all comes back to Coach Tang and, and just how he coaches he gets the best out of everybody. And that's what we saw last year. Um, that's why that team was so special and so connected, so engaged. Um, and it's always what's next. We see that all the time. You know, it, it's, it's what's next. That's their mentality. If they lose a game, it's not let's dwell on it. Let's, it, it's, let's learn from it, and then let's go move on. And they had a little bit of a rough go in, in non-con. But, I mean, you look at their overtime wins. You look at their, like, crunch time games that they've been in. I mean, they're 13 and 14, and, and like you said, they've gone through the adversity, and they've overcome it, and they're in a great spot, and they're playing some good basketball. And, and I think they're just getting better and better and better, and I think that's such a testament to the team staying together, um, you know, not going sideways, and really, you know, when Naquan leaving, that's such a tough loss, and they've been able to withstand that and been able to play some really good basketball, and they're sort of rallying together, and now they believe. And they believe in where they're going. And that's all comes back to Jerome Tang.
Yeah, absolutely. Great stuff there. Jared, a couple more things before we uh, wrap up here. I want to ask you just kind of big picture. Uh, we mentioned eight Big 12 teams in the top 25, uh, which is a record for this league. Uh, as good as it's been all these years, this year might be the best year ever. How many teams can realistically make the big dance out of the Big 12? What are we looking at uh, as possible uh, with, with so many teams and uh, trying to have enough wins to go around for everybody too? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, there's no question that, that the Big 12 is the best it, it's ever been. Um, you know, I, I just think when you look at the, the t- especially the teams that have been added uh, to, to this, you know, to this, uh, this year's league, it's so competitive. Um, now, look, who gets in? That's a tough question just because you're looking at it from, you know, we're January 19th right now um, and bracketology is out there. Um, I would think, you know, right now, Big 12 has to have the most teams. And I, I think the respect the Big 12 is going to have going into the tournament um, is what you want because everybody knows how the, this league is. It's going to beat up on each other. But if you look at their overall rankings and you look at the strength of schedule and you look at their not the non-conference of the Big 12, um, you know, I, I think it, it's a 9-10 team, you know, tournament, team, tournament league right now. Um, that could be less. Could be more. It kind of depends on how the rest of college basketball goes. Um, you know, will some of these teams be in the last four in? Um, that could be very much part of the conversation just because, you know, even if you're on the fringe and you're kind of on that bubble, if you're in the Big 12, you know, you, you already have that leg up where you might be able to get in uh, and be playing in Dayton and be the first one. So, you know, it's, it just depends on how the league goes. Um, this is always what makes the league so fun is you go through the non-conference slate and, and college, there's so many good non-conference games, and then you get into league play, um, and this is what makes it fun because of how competitive this league is. The Big Ten, you know, the physical league, the SEC is a very athletic league, uh, but the Big 12, it always comes back to, it's just such a deep league, and the coaches in this league um, are so good too. I, I think that's, that can't be overlooked. There's so many good coaches in this league. Um, not just the guys at the top, but the guys that have been brought in. Um, you know, we talk about Coach Sampson um, being such a great coach. BYU, Cincinnati, two younger coaches, guys, two younger coaches that uh, are making names for themselves. I, I think that uh, that to me is what makes this league so fun is there's newcomers that are in it, and it's elevated the league to where I think it's going to have so much national respect when we start talking about what the, what the bracket's going to look like and how many teams could come from the Big 12. Yeah, uh, right now, Lenardi's projecting 10 teams in with Texas Tech getting one of the last four buys, and K-State is the very last team in the tournament. Cincinnati, one of the last four in as well. So, yeah, pretty uh, remarkable, to say the least. Jared, our last question, we'll end on this. Uh, we, we mentioned, obviously, your work with the uh, New Orleans Pelicans and uh, that team looking very solid right now. Uh, I believe the uh, fifth seed in the West at the moment, 27 and uh, 17. Uh, what's the feeling uh, on the NBA side just about your uh, your Pelicans and how things are going in that organization? Yeah, it's been it's been a fun year. I mean, um, you know, emerging stars in Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram have really carried us. Uh, CJ provides such a great veteran um, on the floor. Same with Jonas Valanciunas, who's so durable and reliable and um, just such a great force at, at the center position for us. Um, and then, you know, obviously Herb Jones and Trey Murphy – uh, guys, Najee Marshall, Jose Alvarado, those guys that we've had around continuing to take their games to the next level. And then our rookie, Jordan Hawkins, um, who's been excellent in terms of shot making, 
Um, had a 31-point game the other night. Uh, he's had two 30-point games this season. A really dynamic shooter. Um, and, you know, I think just the pieces we have, we're a deep team. Um, you know, we're young, but we have guys now that, you know, are, are now kind of entering the prime of their careers. And Brandon um, Ingram has, has just been such a, you know, such, it's been so fun to watch his evolution um, into being what I, who, who I think is a very underrated superstar in our league. Um, Zion's been excellent, um, you know, averaging close to 22 a game, uh, continues to be very efficient um, and continues to be such a great passer. And I think that's a, my, my favorite part about this group is just we, we share the ball so well and it's fun to watch. It's, it's a team that, that really buys into each other. Um, anybody that steps on the floor is going to set the tone uh, on the defensive side of the ball, uh, but offensively we're really finding our rhythm uh, and Willie and, and the coaching staff has, has done such a great job. Uh, and getting this group ready to go night in and night out. The West is a monster, as you know. Um, so the fact we are where we are and, you know, we've, we've maintained, you know, our guys really kind of continuing to build and build as, as we've gone through. We've, we've had some tough losses um, through November and December, and it feels like we're, we're starting to hit stride more and more of um, really putting game, full games together, playing consistent ball, taking care of the ball, um, closing games out, just learning how to win and you know I think where we are right now is in a good spot but we just got to keep keep building and um, you know it's it's not going to be an easy run um, you know as we go through the season and even hopefully um, into the playoffs because the west is just so deep there's so many good teams uh, but I, I think we're right there and I think we're a team to, to really be looked at uh, as a team that can compete when we get to, to the playoffs. That's exciting great stuff uh, Jared appreciate the time as always my man best of luck uh to your Pelicans and all the stuff you're doing, man. Where, uh, where are you hitting the road next? I actually will. I'm going to, to my alma mater tomorrow. I got Missouri and Florida tomorrow. And then, um, you know, next week, um, got a couple road trips planned. Going to go out to Duke, uh, see Duke Clemson. Um, so just kind of cutting, cutting out games and uh, hitting the road. It, it feels like with all this weather and the cold weather and the snow, kind of dodge some, some flight issues and those type of things. But um, we'll have a local game and then, Back out on the road, um, and it's kind of crazy to think we're mid-January and then look up and it'll be conference tournament time. So just trying to get out on the road, see as many guys as I can, many teams as I can, and um, you know, get ready for, for what's to come down the road in the draft for us um, as we keep working through this. Awesome stuff, Jared. Appreciate the time as always. We'll talk in down the line. Thanks for joining us, man. Thanks, Todd. Thanks for having me, man. Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisor Group. You can find O'Connor Advisor Group online, oagks.com, o'connoradvisorgroup.com, and check out the Coach Bo Knows podcast out each and every week, wherever you listen to podcasts. Coach Bo joins us right now. Bo, how we doing? Yeah, we're doing great, Tyler. Yeah, a little, a little late night here at the O'Connor Advisor Group, but uh, yeah, we're trucking along. Hey, I got a question for you. I have an Did answer. you max out your IRA last year? Uh, No. You know that you still can. Oh, you can still go back and still put money in your IRA, whether it's a traditional IRA or Roth IRA. You can still max it out for 2023 as long as you do it by April 15th. Oh, and so if you have that, if you haven't done that yet, or you have questions, call us at O'Connor Advisory Group. Go to oagks.com, check it out. We can still get you taken care of. And you know, if your current guy is not telling you that. Well, maybe you need to think about somebody else to be your partner. Well, Bo's my partner, and I'm finding this out right now, so I guess I'll be giving you a call when we get done with this and, and figure <laughs> out what I need to do. Uh, yeah. OHGcast.com, O'ConnorAdvisorship.com for more.
Bo, uh, let's start with the coaching carousel. Then we'll look to this weekend's games on the playoff front. Um, first off, let's uh, let's begin with New England. Gerard Mayo replaces Bill Belichick. And what we had heard was, after the fact, that there was already a deal in place for Gerard Mayo as the coach in waiting whenever they moved on from Belichick when he renegotiated his contract for him to take over. Now we see that uh, that Kraft has gone through with that decision. They haven't hired a GM yet. That's going to be a separate role from what that was previously under Belichick. Uh, so some changes there. And now they move forward with Gerard Mayo. What do you think of this call by New England uh, to stay within the family and go with Gerard Mayo as their new head coach? I don't think it's something that's too wild. I mean, I think we kind of knew this was coming in a way. A lot of us thought that Gerard Mayer was going to be the guy. I mean, it's kind of a the idea that he was coaching waiting, even if we didn't know it. It was kind of unspoken and kind of this one made sense. I, I think it's a good choice. I think it's a better choice than over the years when they've had guys like Josh McDaniels and Matt Patricia, who I think at certain times over the last few years – they look like the 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 candidate that would be the candidate. Right. But I think Mayo, especially being a position coach, it really allows you to not be as concerned about game planning and to be able to look at some of the bigger picture stuff. And so my thinking is he's probably been working close with Belichick over the years. And so over these last couple of years and able to say, hey, I now have the bigger picture. We know what we're going to do. It'll be kind of seamless. Um, the biggest thing that the the Patriots got to worry about, they got a lot of nice pieces on their on their on their on their defense. Um, the biggest problem I think the New England Patriots have is what's going to do with the quarterback. Well, and then too, you know, we mentioned Gerard Mayo not going to have the role Belichick had of head coach and GM that they're yeah. going to hire a GM. How does Gerard Mayo in this instance still take over and do the things he wants? Because you know, obviously a lot of attention is going to be paid to, does he keep Bill O'Brien as his OC? How much influence will Kraft kind of have hovering over the situation and all that? Like, to me, that's the next step that might be hard to finagle when you take over for a legend like Belichick is, how do I make this program? How do I run this thing the way I want it as opposed to the way that it's been about? Uh, and I think what he does with Bill O'Brien is going to be his first big step. Well, I think that the GM is the big step first. I think that um, that's something that obviously Mayo's doesn't have, Mayo does not have a background in that. And I think that's what Belichick's biggest issue has been the last couple of years. You know, a lot of been, lot's been made about taking a guard in the first round and some other things that Bill Belichick has done that we kind of seem like are kind of crazy. Um, you know, picking guys, you know, in the third and fourth round that were sixth round and seventh round grades. You know, he can kind of fall in love with guys and, and, and do that. There's nothing wrong with that as a coach. But right now in this league, you really, as a general manager, it's almost a business first role. You know, the coach is going to have a say on, as Bill, as Bill Parcells once said, he's going to help choose the groceries because he's going to cook the meal. I think all coaches have some say in that because I think that really what the GM's job is is to find the right candidates with the head coach and then the contracts, the salary cap. That's really their job. It's not it's not a general manager's job to be the one who finally says, this is the guy over this guy. Right. That's a head coach. And 
if those two can be in lockstep. So if I'm the Patriots, I want to go find someone who is a football, a football business person, person who understands the salary cap, understands contracts and that sort of piece. And then let Gerard Mayo and a good scouting department worry about the players. Yeah. Worry about that. It's it's going to be a little bit of a transition. And I think that's part of what Gerard Mayo has got to do is transition that where a lot of that was just thrown on Belichick. Right. And what he was doing. Um, Real quick on that, on the Bill O'Brien deal. Uh, if you're Gerard Mayo, would you keep Bill O'Brien or would you go get a new OC? I don't know their related nature, their relationship. If they're close at all, I would. Um, I saw something interesting. Was it? Um, it was from a highlight. It was maybe on Inside the NFL or something where it was showing Bill O'Brien with one of the quarterbacks. I think it was Bailey Zappi uh, earlier in the season where Zappi was had a good game and they were coming in and they were celebrating. Yeah. And Bill O'Brien was extremely you know, outgoing and like all about the quarterback and this and that. And then he turns around, there's Belichick. And it's almost like turning around and seeing your dad and going, yeah. oh, sorry, dad, you know. So there's a different thing. The other thing about keeping Bill O'Brien, he's been a head coach in the NFL. He's been a general manager in the NFL. Look, he was really good at both. They just collapsed. You know, the Houston Texans under Bill O'Brien – after they lost the playoff game to the Chiefs, the Chiefs made the big comeback, 24-point game. That's what killed what Bill O'Brien That and did. Bill O'Brien made a dumb call in that Hopkins trade. He did. But at the same time, everybody makes mistakes. Right. But I do think that in the end, it's going to be nice for Gerard Mayo to have someone with some experience as well. I think that's important. So I would, I would lean on that experience, and I think I would keep Bill O'Brien. Is my yeah. is my offense. But I would also tell him, you don't have to run Bill Belichick's offense. Let's get something in here and let's go find you a quarterback. Right. Absolutely. And ask him Absolutely. who he wants. I mean, he's going to want an athletic quarterback. He's not going to want the guys that are in the house. Yeah. No question. No question about it. Speaking of Bill Belichick, uh, sounds like that he is still interested in coaching. It won't be in Dallas or Philadelphia as they're bringing back their head coaches. We'll talk about those situations in just a second. But he's already interviewed for Atlanta. There's been uh, a lot of talk about the L.A. Chargers as a possibility. Um, sounds like the Commanders is not going to work out. Uh, what do you think of these openings? What would be a good fit for Belichick? And where could he get what he wants of a happy medium of still having some control of some sorts uh, in addition to being head coach? Well, I think all the memes of him going to Dallas were hysterical, but that would have been a terrible mix. And I don't think they, he would have gone. I think that he's a Bill Parcells guy, and I think he saw what happened to Bill Parcells with Jerry Jones. I don't think he, he wanted any part of that. I'll tell you where I think Bill Belichick ends up. Atlanta. Yeah. I think he's going to look at that roster and go, wow, there's some pieces. They're Let a quarterback away. They really are, and and in the worst division in the league, you can go from zero to hero really quick in the in the NFC South. Um, that's right. If at this point he's not going to Dallas, he's not going to Philly. If Washington is out, Washington makes a lot of sense to me as well. He's going to have a lot of pull there. New owner, 
bring in Belichick with some excitement there. Um, but he's probably going to ask for more. I think Atlanta is a good fit. I don't see him going to the Chargers either. I think that's going to be a different situation as well. I, I don't think that's as desirable a job as people think it is. Agreed. I, I talked about that on my podcast this past week. I think that when I was ranking those jobs on my pod this past week, we talked about it. And I said, look, people are ranking the Chargers as the one, two, or three best job. I think it's one of the worst simply because if you look at the two biggest things you want to look at is quarterback and ownership. They got the best quarterback of any of the opens. But, and they've got some pieces, but their ownership is terrible. And you're not playing home games. Right. You know, and that's a big deal. I think that there's just too much that too much for a, a, a really good coach to overcome in that position. Well, not to mention so they are they are one trade demand from Justin Herbert of that whole thing coming down. Yeah, and that's the other thing I would say is like, look, if I was going to go in there as a coach, I'd say, look, not only do we have to figure this out with are we going to get our own place or what are we doing here? You guys got to pay people. But also, you better extend him now because I'm not coming if you don't. Because yeah. I'm not going to sit here and not have a quarterback in a year. Right. Because if Justin Herbert is to free agency, every team is going to want him. Every team that doesn't have, you know, the top five or six quarterbacks. And and that and rightfully so. So well, I mean, he did sign that five-year two. Herbert. He did sign a five-year two hundred sixty-two million dollar deal last offseason. Yeah, but uh, he can he can, he can he can I mean he look a QB can get out of a contract. QB yeah. can ask for a trade. QB QBs in the NFL have more power than anybody else. Right. And yeah, it's got to be out. take care of my quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. just say, hey, whatever he wants, we're doing. Yeah. And I, I think he's worth it, frankly. I mean, look, in the league where a quarterback, you look at who's left in this NFL, who's left, especially in the AFC. You look in the AFC, the, the four teams that are still left are the four quarterbacks that had the best season. Yeah. And so you better be solid at QB. That's why it also the Chargers, uh, there's just too much that can happen. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, let's go to Seattle. That job opening, Dan Quinn seems to be the odds-on favorite, but we've heard some rumblings that maybe Mike Vrabel's gaining some traction or a Ben Johnson or maybe even Mike McDonald, the Ravens D.C. here. I mean, like, Dan Quinn's the favorite, but if you're Seattle, I, I think you'd be crazy just to hand this to Dan Quinn when – you got some very good quality candidates that that would like to take that job. Dan Quinn's a decent coach. I think that might be a safe bet. But if you're Seattle here, like why why not go for the home run? Go for a Harbaugh or Ben Johnson or even Vrabel at that front. I, I think you can do a lot better than Dan Quinn. I I think Dan Quinn's a good a good. I I, I don't disagree with you, but I think Dan Quinn's a good hire as well. I think that what that does is it gives you some stability from Pete Carroll to you know, where they're at, because he was there for Legion of Boom. That was his deal. I mean, that was right. he's that guy. Um, but I also look at it as I think that's the best open. I agree. Of all jobs open. I, I don't think he questioned the best job. Ownership. Ownership's in. They got a great fan base. The quarterback situation is not a great quarterback, but it's flexible. Yes. You can have Geno Smith for one year. He can help you if you bring somebody in from the draft. 
Doesn't cost you a lot either. Cost you a lot, and you can keep that. You can keep Geno Smith for a year, teach someone, and then you can move on. Or if Geno plays well, you think he's a good fit, extend him for two or three years. You have flexibility at the quarterback position. That's not as great as having the franchise, but they have a pretty good cap situation and the stability of it. I, I think that's the best job opening. I think if I was a Harbaugh, a Belichick, Vrabel, that's the job I want. That's the job I'd be banging for. I'd be banging on the door as much as I can to get that job. Um, you know, I think they I think they need to go hire Jim Harbaugh if they can. If they don't get Jim Harbaugh, then I think Dan Quinn's a really good consolation prize. I know he wasn't a great coach in Atlanta when he was there. He didn't have a great success. But his players liked him. His players love him in Dallas. He's had success at that level as a DC. He's well respected. He brings in a young offensive coordinator to take that side of the ball. They can figure out some things. And they're in a they're in a position where a little difficult the division-wise. You've got the 49ers there. The Rams are still good, but it's not impossible. Right. So yeah, that's the that's the job I'd want out of the jobs that are currently open. So last week you and I were saying that it's not a foregone conclusion Harbaugh is going to the NFL. And we've heard these negotiations that he's asking Michigan um for immunity in a contract. Uh that yeah. that's what he would like if he if he stays. He wants immunity. And uh, honestly, I th- I think that's a reasonable ask in his part. He's interviewed already with the Chargers and the Falcons here. What is the end game here? Does he stay with Michigan and get what he wants from them? Or do you think he ends up taking one of these jobs in the NFL? I think the right place, the right money gets it in the into the NFL. I think there's a part, if you're Jim Harbaugh, you've won the national title. You got to Michigan. You went to your alma mater. You went back, you went back to college from the NFL. You went to the alma mater. You turned the whole program around. You won a national championship. And now it's time to go back to the NFL. And you've got to go beat your brother. You've got to find out a way to get a Super Bowl. And I think that but that guy's a great coach. He was great in San Francisco. He's the real reason San Francisco got turned around. Yes. And with the Shanahan and that group has done since has been phenomenal. But that was Jim Harbaugh who brought that around. His teams are tough and tough-minded. I think that's a better fit in the NFL in the long haul. I think whoever goes and gets him is going to have a drastic improvement with whatever roster he's given. And then after another year, he can make some replacements to that roster. They'll be even better. Yeah. I'd pay that. Yeah, I would too. I would too. And it feels like, okay, if you're Michigan and you find a way, like, all right, Jim, we're giving you your immunity. We're going to pay you top dollar to keep you. Isn't he going to keep on doing this charade every offseason? Like, okay, if you keep him next year, this year, then we're going to do this again next year and the year after. Like, eventually – He's going to go. I, I would have to think. Yeah, I mean, I I think he's doing it to drive up his own price, too. I mean, he, he's not a fool. He's driving up his own price in the NFL market by doing this. I think that – I don't know the man, obviously, but I think that if I'm Jim Harbaugh, it's time. I mean, what, if, even if you ran it back, it ain't going to be as fun as it was the first time. J.J. Yeah, McCarthy already said he's going to the NFL. Yeah. So, so I, I think he's going to the NFL. 
Yeah. Um, wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if David Tepper in Carolina just backs up a Brinks truck and says, fix this thing. Yeah. What about Vrabel? Uh, I know you and I have been big fans of Vrabel for a long time. I think he's a top five coach in this league. I mean, you win two division titles and go to an AFC championship with Tannehill as your quarterback, you've done something right. Is there any chance that Tannehill, that, uh, Brable doesn't get a seat in the musical chairs here, that he gets left out and has to take a year off. Uh, could he be the odd man out? He could. I think that's a possibility. And I don't think it'd be a bad deal if he does. Um, he'll be something that next year is going to be wanted. There's going to be a lot of openings next year as well. There always is. And I think that if you look at it and you go, well, what's out there for Mike Brable? There's one thing that he can bring. And, and again, it's the kind of same thing Jim Harbaugh can bring you is that he's a tough-nosed, tough-minded, respected guy. I mean, he's – one thing you can do in the NFL if you're a head coach is that if you can carry the locker room – look at what Antonio Pierce has done. Uh, Dan Quinn's going to get one of these jobs because he's Dan Quinn and he's got that respect. I think that's what Mike Vrabel is. And I look at it and I go, that's something that has value to it that you can't quite put your finger on. Um, I do think it's a shame that he that he got booted out of Tennessee. I think that I think it shows me that their ownership doesn't know what they're doing. I, I they yeah. haven't given him a lot of real nice pieces to play with. Right. They've been a dumpster fire at the quarterback position, um, and I don't know what the what to do for them. But that's where I would be right now. I'd I'd go get a Mike Rabel, but I do think there's a chance that especially as teams get eliminated through the rest of the playoffs. Some of these OCs will hit, some of these DCs will hit the market. Uh, you know, Ben Johnson wants a bunch of money in Detroit, or he's staying in Detroit. But there'll be guys who will get out there, and people like to hire, especially offensive coordinators, they like to hire the hot name. And they want to hire those guys. We've seen it, you know, for the last few years. I think that's where we're going to see that. I think you might see that more so than Mike Vrabel getting – for lack of a better term, recycle. Yes. Yes. Um, Philly and Dallas, they're keeping their head coaches after their playoff losses last week. Dallas losing to Green Bay. Philly losing to Tampa Bay. Both teams getting blown out, too, in the wild card round. And the, in the Cowboys' case, they became the first team in NFL history to lose to a seven seed in the wild card round. Bo, what do you make of the decisions from the Cowboys and the Eagles to hang out with their head coaches? So that stat's a little weird, a little, a little wonky first off, because let's be honest, it's the we only had this format for a couple of years. Three years. But I do think that the issue at me, McCarthy first, is Mike McCarthy came in this season and said, hey, we're going to run the football, we're going to do all these things, and that's not what they did. Now, Dak Prescott almost won a damn MVP. He's played fantastic this season. But the offense was not predicated on what we thought and what he told us, he and McCarthy, told us was going to happen. And because it was going to be that we're not going to run this Kellen Moore shit anymore, we're going to come in and we're going to run the football and not put it on Dak to win the game. We did the direct opposite. Right. Now, Dak for the first 15, so 17 weeks, 16 weeks of the season, outside of one bad game late in the year, was phenomenal. 
this season. You know, he won the big, they had a bad game against Philly, and all of a sudden he's out of the MVP race. He was bad against Philly again, against um, against the Packers. And, and it's like, okay, a big part of that is when you give them 14 points early, you're going to, you know, you're going to be hard to come back. But I think a lot of it has to go to Mike McCarthy. And I've said if, if he didn't do, he didn't do what he told us he was going to do. And then when he did decide to rely on Dak, well, now you've tied yourself to the idea of Dak's going to carry us. And if he doesn't, then you're the one that made that decision. You're the one that went against what you said in August, changed everything throughout this season. And now you're paying for it. I would fire Mike McCarthy. I wouldn't have brought him back this season. And I and again, you, I, you and I talked in the past. I don't think Mike McCarthy is a very good head coach. I don't yeah. think he's. I think he's someone that won a Super Bowl because he had Aaron Rodgers, and he had the best Aaron Rodgers you could have. He couldn't win right now with Aaron Rodgers. No, I don't think he can win right now, with Patrick Mahomes. I think he's just. I think he's the biggest problem in that locker room. I would have fired Mike McCarthy. He's the most fraudulent head coach in the league. He might be. He might be. He might be the boy. He might be. I, I'd have to sit there and really think through coach. No, no, no. I think Dennis Allen is the most fraudulent head coach in the NFL. See, I everyone would... knows. Everyone knows he's not a good coach, though. Like there are New Orleans. New Orleans Saints. There's a crowd of folks that still think that McCarthy's a good coach because he won a Super Bowl. That's true. Um, it goes to show that just getting there and winning it does not make you necessarily a great coach. Yeah. Like I said, he wrote he wrote Aaron Rodgers in the best damn season Aaron Rodgers ever played. Right. And that's I mean that's and, bottom and line. Richard Mendenhall fumbled in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I would have fired about- McCarthy. What about Sirianni and Philly? Was that a mistake to keep him around? Okay, that one's I'm a little I'm a little two minds on this. You're one year removed for going to the Super Bowl, and again, you could have easily you could have won. You come out ten and one to start the season. They were the best team in the league for 10 weeks, 10, 11 weeks. And, and look, I was the guy shouting from the rooftops. Look out for the Eagles. Look out for the Eagles. Now, don't worry about the 49ers. The Eagles are better. And the tank job they went into, losing five out of six to go to the playoffs, and then getting just drunk, outplayed, outcoached, outmaneuvered in every which way by a bad Tampa Bay Bucks team. That Tampa Bay Bucks team is bad. I mean, they're they were they're in there because they were the winner of the worst division. Um, I think Todd Bowles has done a good job, though. What's that? I think Todd Bowles has done a good job. Oh, yeah. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I think Todd Bowles has done a hell of a job with a really bad roster of players. Um, so I look at it and go, look, the Eagles should have won that game. It should have been no – it should have been It should have been easy. I do think that Jalen Hurts is injured. I'm looking at the way he plays. I Clearly, he is injured. His hand is injured. There's something going on with him where he is injured. They haven't had him on an injury report. But he's clearly hurt. And that bothers me that they've gotten away with not talking about that. But any anybody that knows the QB position can tell why he's playing the way he is. Yes. No pun intended. But, um, yeah, I think that's bad. 
the issue to me isn't necessarily even how poorly they played and how they were out coached this week. It's also the five weeks leading up to it. They weren't competitive in some of these games to really bad teams. Yes. They ended the Eagles ended the season with it was was it Giants, Commanders, Giants, those last three games? Yes. And lost all three. Yes. I mean, that's they should have been able to not just win all three, but they should have won all three pretty handily to the point where they shouldn't have had to play starters in week 17. Right. And we're seventeenth game, week eighteen. But it's that that has to go back to Sirianni. It has to go back to your coach. It has to go back to what Sirianni has done. And I look at that 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 to me is a fault. And I think that unless there's something that we don't know, and I think that's something that's probably that Jalen Hurts is injured. But Jalen Hurts isn't doesn't tell us why it that doesn't tell us why the defensive line is bad. Um, the defense line was good six the first six weeks of the season, they were one of the best in the league. And now they play like crap. They couldn't tackle anybody. And in a team that they are one of the best blocking teams in the league, they have been able to block for the last month. That's not on a on her quarterback either. Right. That has to do with everything going on around them. And I I take issue with that. So again, I don't know the whole situation behind the scenes, but I would have given Nick Sirianni. I wouldn't have given him a lot of leeway right now. Yeah. Well, if I thought I had a better situation I could go to, I would consider. Well, we're the on the topic. One year removed from the Super Bowl. Yes. While we're on the topic of Philly, before we talk about the college coaching changes, uh, sounds like Jason Kelsey is done, that he uh, is likely going to retire. Hasn't made it official yet, but it sounds like it's going that direction. Jason Kelsey, incredible resume, Super Bowl champion. Um been really turned into a heck of a personality the last couple of years, too. I look at Jason Kelsey, and I know you don't like to call anybody the best of all time or any goats like that, but really, I, I think one of the best centers we've seen, and it's been yeah. great for the game, great just ambassador for the game. I I don't think you're going to find anybody that has a negative thing to say about Jason Kelly. Kelsey. Just a great career. Yeah, if you have something negative about Jason Kelsey, it tells me you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Um, I mean, look, he – there's just nothing bad about the guy. Um, one of the greatest centers of all time. At his position, he's one of the greatest. He might be one of the best I've ever seen. Um, you know, like you were saying, I don't like calling anybody the best ever. It's all subjective. But he's done things that most of his contemporaries just couldn't do. He's athletic. He's, I mean, the way they use him to pull in that offense. I mean, you don't see centers who can do that at the NFL level. Oh. Um, a lot of the stuff that he does, he's just – he commands an offensive line. He reads the defense really well. He's a, a fantastic so – he's the first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, it'd be a shame if he's not the first ballot, but he'll he'll get in. And um, well-deserving. I mean, he's had a great, fantastic career. He's as good at his position as his more popular brother is at his position. Yeah. We talk about, you know, Travis Kelsey kind of being on the, the Mount Rushmore of tight ends. Jason Kelsey is that good at being a center. It's yeah. I, I think when we talk about like brother duos in the league, you know, everybody thinks the Mannings, obviously. I think the Kelseys are some of the best ever. Yeah, I think if you look back, I mean, the the, there's the Matthews family, they're, you know, you go to old school, Bruce and Clay, and then, uh, you know, the Kelseys are up there. Um, I mean, Peyton and Eli are one, if you ask me. Right. But, I mean, it's, 
yeah, again, you're not going to, I'm not going to sit here and say, hey, these guys aren't great. They're both going to the Hall of Fame. Right. And they're both no doubters. And yeah. they're both on the Mount Rushmore of their position. Yes. You know, yeah. and that's that's hard to argue. But, yeah, they're, right. they've been good. Let's talk about the college changes. Uh, Bama goes with Kalen DeBoer. And I'll say this, Paul. Like, I don't think they could have gotten anybody any better than Kalen DeBoer because uh, the candidates was not as much as – not as good as they expected for this job with people not wanting to replace Saban and with, as we've mentioned before – Bama not being competitive on the NIL market compared to other programs. You go with DeBoer, who's been a winner everywhere, from Washington to Fresno State to the NAIA level. I like it. He's a great offensive mind. He's developed some really good talent. All that makes sense. But no connections, no ties to the SEC whatsoever. I don't know if the man's ever spent a day in the state of Alabama before this past week, to be honest. Um, is that much of an issue, do you think, the fact that he's new to this? I mean, because it is different in the SEC. It means more. We know that. But yeah, yeah. when it comes to how players are recruited and the culture and the atmosphere, is bringing in this outsider going to be an issue? Yes. <laughs> Look, it, it, you may say that the SEC, it just means more as a catchphrase. Um, unless you've been down there, you just don't understand. And especially right. in that state, they want one of their own. Um, I don't know who that was going to be. I honestly don't know. It looks like, from what I've seen, people I've seen down there, it looks like it's kind of a mixed bag. There's some people saying that, hey, they like the idea of this guy. But then there's some saying, well, he's not one of us. Right. Well, which one of you was it going to be? Because there wasn't any of us worth You want a Dabo? I mean, I wouldn't hire Dabo. Um, I mean, he you know, was not the only one that was one of them. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, look, if you wanted one of them, it was going to have to be kind of a surrogate one of them, and that was going to be Lane Kiffin. And he wasn't right. going to – you don't move from Mississippi to Alabama. It's just an right. plus. Um, I think it's a tough job for two reasons. One, you're following the legend. I mean, look, that's – I don't like to use the term goat, but God damn it. I mean, if there's ever been applied to somebody, it's 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 Nick Saban. Uh, but what I do think is that whoever that hire was is gonna be difficult. And now, you know, in a time where NIL has become this huge piece, Bama doesn't have money like that. They just don't. They don't have money like half the teams in their conference. And now, if you look and see what's happened. They're losing recruits because of this. You know, recruits were willing to look past. They're losing their own players. The they have Bond, their top receiver, went to Texas. Yeah. Some of these players will look past the NIL to go play for Nick Saban. Right. You know, that's a difference. But you're not going to look past it to go play for Crystal Ball. It's going to have to get – I mean, even a year or two ago, I think it was last offseason – Nick Saban was telling people at Alabama, their boosters, hey, you got to step up. Right. And that was the word he used was step up. <clears throat> Pardon me. And I think that's a big reason why he's not here. We talked about this, you and I have, for a year now. We thought this was going to be Nick Saban's last year. And because of that sort of thing, they don't have that in-house. It's going to be a difficult job. He's a great coach. I like Chris DeBoer. I think he's been great everywhere he's been. But – uh I don't envy the situation. But it was a good, 
possibly make. Meanwhile, back in Washington, where Kalen DeBoer just left, um, they hired Jed Fish. I like Fish a lot. He did an incredible job with that Arizona program, who was basically like the KU of the Pac-12. They were one of the worst Power 5 programs when he took over. And, you know, won 10-plus games this year. Awesome job. Now goes to Washington. And, you know, I'll say this, Bo. I like to hire for Washington. But Jed Fish is not walking into the program that he thinks he's taking over of the runners-up for the national championship. That roster is depleted. Uh, they've already lost a ton in the portal. Players decommitting left and right here. I mean, th- this is – he's got his work cut out for him. This And going to the Big Ten and everything here, Washington, uh, that job – and it was going to be this way with anybody that took that job, just having me Jed Fish. This is not walking into a team that's going to compete for the Big Ten next year. Not next year, no, but he's a great coach. Uh, what he was doing in Arizona was something special. Um, you made the comparison to Kansas. Um, yes, very much so. Uh, Arizona has always been a basketball school. Yeah. And he came in there and started to change that culture. And – you know, it's they, they've never had a great football team in Arizona. They've had great players that have come through at time to time, but they've never had that culture of a great team. He brought that. That team was so well improved from where they were at the end of the season, from the beginning of the season. They did the same thing last year as well. Give him time at Washington. You might see the same thing. Now, the issue he's going to have is kind of what you were talking about. It's going to the Big Ten now. So, in the Pac-12, you can beat up some rummies. You can beat up the Washington States, the even Arizona State, you know, Cal, Stanford. There's not a lot of those in the Big Ten. Um, you know, I mean, there is still Purdue and Indiana and a few things like that. But you still got to deal with Ohio State and Michigan. And, um, you know, you're going, Oregon's going with you. They're going to be there now. So you've still got some great schools, USC and UCLA are over there with you. There's really top-notch programs, and you're not going to be able to duck them. But, again, his teams have improved from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. Each of the last couple of years, and I really paid attention to him, these last couple for sure. Let's see what happens. I like what I see in him. That was a good fit for Washington. I think that it's going to be difficult, but it's doable, and he's a great coach. I think Washington might have made a better hire than Alabama. Well, and I'll say this, to Washington's credit, Bo, I don't think they can make this hire without the move to the Big Ten. I don't think that Jed Fish yeah. probably takes this job of both schools in the Pac-12 because I then agree. you're looking at Arizona being able to bring all that they bring back. And, you know, they they were supposed to be one of the favorites in the Big 12 this upcoming year. I don't know now, now the players they'd lose, but I, I don't think he would, he would say, you know what, I'm going to give up my chance – to win a conference title to go lose to Arizona. I think that Washington getting the more money that they're about to get in the Big Ten, which gave them more money to be able to pay a guy like Jed Fish, it's already paying off this move. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, there's no way he goes from Arizona to Washington in the same conference. That doesn't happen. Uh, but yeah, you have you throw more money in that they're getting from the Big Ten than Arizona's getting from the Big 12 now. Yeah, and I think there's something about the Big Ten. You also know that if you can be the team playing for a Big Ten championship, 
you're going to, if you can win it, you're going to the major bowl. You're going to be in a playoff. You know, now it's going to be in the top 12 to get in the playoff. And you can get there at Washington. Yes. You can recruit. He can recruit out that way. And then Washington's recruited for the last few years out in California and out in the West Coast. Keep recruiting there. Keep doing that. They're, they're going to still be a, a landing spot, and they're still going to be competitive. And there's money there. There They have – hey, Washington is a better NIL situation than Alabama is. Now, they, they said that they didn't even come close to matching – Bama for the offer for to keep Caleb DeBoer. Yeah. Yeah, but, but they, I'm talking about when it comes to the NIL piece. NIL, yes, but coaching salaries, apparently they didn't no, come. No. Well, I think that they looked at it and went, well, we're not going to pay him that much when we can go get someone. Yeah. You know, I think Washington made the better hire. You think Washington basically let him walk? I think so in a way. Yeah. I mean, they said, hey, you you did what you could. He looked, he also had, you know. A fifth-year Michael Penix with three NFL receivers. They get to the national championship game, and and they didn't play great that night. But they also had some of those lapses throughout the year. And I think that people realize they're probably not coming back with him as the head coach. Yeah. I just, yeah. All right. Let's talk about these uh, these playoff games this weekend. Texans and Ravens. I really liked what I saw from the Texans last week. C.J. Stroud looked awesome. Um you know, that, that team and facing a tough Browns defense. They didn't play scared at all. CJ Stroud didn't look like a rookie. Now you got the Ravens coming off a bye week. Their starters haven't played in two weeks. Bo, I, I think this game might come down to the first quarter. Who's going to come out of the gates firing? Can the Texans get on that rape, that tough Ravens defense early? Can the Ravens come out of the gates firing and not be rusty from two, two weeks off? Uh, whoever starts better, I think, is going to be the one that wins this game. Well, I tend to agree with that. I think that this is a great matchup. Um, I'm big on the Texans, too. I picked them to win last week, and I think they it's can a- win this week. Um, I think that they're going to – it's more important for the Texans to get out in front than it is for the Ravens. If if it's a back-and-forth, back-and-forth game, I'll take the Ravens. Yeah. Because eventually they'll pull away. What the Texans have done in the big games they've won, they've come out and punched you in the mouth. They've hit 75-yard touchdown they did last week. They've done that a lot in the first half of games this season. I have a C.J. Stroud comment for you. Okay. If C.J. Stroud doesn't get that concussion and miss three games, does he win the MVP? I think he might. His numbers are incredible. He's had next to Marino. He's had the best rookie season of a quarterback I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, it's it's Marino 83. I mean, it's and granted, it's it's hard to get those big, huge numbers harder back then, but he's been phenomenal. And that team's a year ahead of schedule. They're well coached, they're he's, young, and they're hungry. I was, wouldn't bet against the Texans, but I do like the Ravens to win the game. It was the best rookie season from a quarterback we've seen since probably Big Ben in 04. Yeah, I mean, and I think that I think it's better than that. I think that he, I think legit, if he does not have that concussion and miss two and a half games, I think he's, in, I think it's a two man race for MVP. Yeah. Him and, and I, because I think they flip a couple of those games. Right. And all of a sudden they're the division winner and they're maybe the three seed. 
Well, they did win the division. They were the four seed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, higher up. I mean, it'd be, I think it'd be the three, the two or the three seed. I mean, they would be even better. I, I look at what D'Amico Ryan has done there, and they're still stacked with draft picks. Their team is young. They're talented, all the important positions. They're just going to get better. Yeah. Yeah. The the Ravens, very interesting, this team, the way they've played and, and how well they've looked. Um, but the two weeks off thing, Bo, do you, do you think that's going to be a benefit or is that going to be a negative? How? What's your expectation for the Ravens coming off? Do they look fresh or do they, or do they look rusty, you think? I, you know, it's going to be a natural excuse. They don't come out and score 14 points in the first quarter. People are going to say, oh, they're rusty. I think they're going to be fine. I, I think that, I think it was a good thing they didn't play that last game. Yeah. That rainstorm, you know, they had to play in the rain and the sloppy field. You know, they got healthy. They've had, they've had injury issues all season long. You know, you get Lamar an extra, an extra week of rest. Um, I saw that Mark Andrews was practicing this week. Yeah, outside chance he plays this week. Sounds like he'd be good to go for an AFC championship. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, that's a byproduct of having two weeks off. So you bring that piece back, oh, my God. You know, think about the other guys who are in that lineup. I mean, you look at someone that didn't get used as much in the last end of the year, like an Odell Beckham. When now he has a couple weeks off, get a little healthier, I expect a big play out of Odell Beckham at some point this week. It, it, they don't use him in volume. But when they do get him the ball, it's in a big play situation. So I like the Ravens. I think the Ravens are going to win this game. I think the Ravens are going to win the AFC. But I I do think that any of these four teams could give anybody else a run. I mean, this is this might be, well, of the four teams left in the AFC, I like both these teams a lot. And there's one that I think is the odd man out of the four. In the words the of the college football playoff committee in the AFC, we got the best four teams. <laughs> I think so. I don't think there's any team in the NFC. Like, if you were going to say it'll put them in a playoff, and regardless of AFC, NFC, those would be the first four. I'd well, I could see choosing all four. It'd be hard to choose the Chiefs over the, over the 49ers. Yeah. Um, the Chiefs are the worst of the four levels. Let's go to uh, Packers. I'll get back. I think we'll win this week. Yeah. But I do think right now, I like the Texans better than the Chiefs. We'll talk about the Chiefs in a bit. Let's talk Packers 49ers also on Saturday. Jordan Love looked phenomenal last week. That offense was cooking. The defense held its own. Uh, Packers come in looking red hot. They've been a different team really since Thanksgiving when they beat the Lions. Niners coming off a bye week. I know the Niners are big favorites, but Bo, how do you feel about the Packers? Are the Niners on upset alert? Can Green Bay go in and pull this off? I don't think they can. Um, I think that a lot of what happened last week was they were spotted 14 points. Look, they're they're a good team. They're not a great team. Matt LaFleur has done a really good job in December and January has been, we've seen the best of Matt LaFleur in his time there. Um, the issue, as I see it, is I don't know how the Packers' defense stops the run game of the 49ers. That's the thing that I think is the issue. Um, it's going to have to be that the, the Packers are going to have to force the 49ers to throw the football 
and to try to get into a shootout. If it's a shootout, well, then I kind of like what the Packers offense can do. But the 49ers can just slug you with that offense, with that run-based offense, and if they get a lead, you're not coming back on. Yeah. So I, 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 I think the 49ers are going to win this game. I don't think they cut a big number to cover. I think it's nine and a half, the last thing I saw. Nine. Nine? Yeah, that's a lot. I wouldn't wouldn't lay nine points in any playoff game. Um, but I also think that you could see the 49ers force the Packers to go too fast offensively. And if that happens, then turnovers will happen. What they Jordan Love can do is turn the ball over a little bit. So yeah, I they're still an incomplete package as well. They're not as talented as the Texans incomplete package, but they are still an incomplete package. Um, now, what the Packers can do better than people think is run the football. So let's see if it becomes a run a run fest, and both teams try to shorten the game. And then if it gets down to where they grind it out, grind it out, it's close the whole way. Then in the fourth quarter, you know, five minutes to go, which quarterback do you like? You know, I'll take Jordan Love over Brock Purdy. You know, but if it's grinded out, and it's, it's it's step and step the whole way. That's the only way I think the Packers win this thing. I mean, that's that's the way that I would do it if I'm them. Grind it, grind it, grind it. Get that thing to, you know, 17-17 with five minutes to go and see what you can do. People criticize the Packers for how they handled drafting Jordan Love and dealing with Aaron Rodgers and him sitting behind Rodgers and all that for three years. But here we are, the way Jordan Love's played. And winning a playoff game and getting, you know, some some draft capital, some decent draft capital out of Aaron Rodgers and off your payroll, too, and everything, all the drama that came with Aaron Rodgers and all that. Doesn't it look like the Packers won that trade with the Jets by a mile? Like, didn't, didn't they know something? Like, they sure, Aaron wasn't ready to retire yet, but they they found their guy in Jordan Love. They made him wait. Probably wasn't fair to Jordan Love to make him wait as long as they did. But uh, at the end of the day, like they they obviously knew what they were doing here. Yeah, they knew what they were doing in the end. They knew what they had. Uh, you know, we've said for a couple of years we don't know what they have in Jordan Love. They did. Yeah. They they would not have made this deal if they didn't like what they had because um, they had to either, as my father would say, shit or get off the pot when it came to him because of his contract situation. So. Right. Um, they had to either, you know, do it now or not do it at all. It's funny because they've done two quarterbacks in a row with Rodgers and then Love. And it's 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 one of the things where you look at it and you go, wow, you, you do feel bad for Jordan Love. He had to wait this long to be the quarterback. But now he's there, and we'll see what happens. And he's going to get paid. That's the nice thing. He's going to get a new contract. And he's going to get top QB money. And rightfully so, but he deserves it. For sure. Because if they don't give it to him, there's 10 other teams that will. Right. Couple in the division. Uh, Bucks and Lions. I'll say this, Bo, uh, when it comes to the Lions, a lot of people are going to make, you know, look back at last week and say, ah, oh, it was a close game. They barely beat the Rams and all this. Bo, like, they, they carried a lot of weight into that game. It was, you know, first playoff, home playoff game ever at Ford Field, Stafford coming back. That was an emotional night. 
I feel like now you head into this week, you play a Bucs team that's not as good as the Rams. Now you've got that monkey off your back. Now you're playing loose. It, it's not Stafford coming home. It's not the first playoff game anymore. Now these guys can kind of do their thing. And I feel like the pressure kind of is off the Lions to an extent. I mean, it's still the playoffs. There's still pressure. But yeah. to an extent of sorts, I feel like this team's kind of freed up now to do their thing. I think that they are. I There's a lot there to unpack. So, one, the most underrated part of this is the Rams were the team that I think in the league improved the most yes. from week one to week 18. Like, I don't think any team in the league went, was better who improved as much from week one to week 18. If people un- might have undersold how good that team was. Had the Rams beaten the uh, beaten the Lions and it was them playing the Bucks, well, they would play the 49ers. But they would have had a chance to beat the 49ers. And, and if it was them playing the Bucks, they'd be the favorite again. Yeah. Probably the same kind of favorite that the Lions court, frankly, are. There's the pressure of winning the first one is out the way. Um this Bucks team is not a talented team. They tried to give it back a couple times this week. I mean, they 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 tried. Um, I know you're a big Baker Mayfield guy. He played pretty good this past week. This was he's really? had a couple of games the last month and a half. He's played better in. Um, I made a comment on my pod about Baker Mayfield. You know he's got moxie. That's one thing I can say about Baker Mayfield. He's got moxie. Whether he's walking up the sideline grabbing his nuts at the other team, or you got either that Baker Mayfield who's got full of moxie and you. You want to bet on that guy, or he's the Baker Mayfield that's going to go throw three interceptions the other way and going to cost his team a game. I think that the Baker Mayfield is going to throw three interceptions the one show this week. I think this is going to be an execution. I think the Lions are going to score 30 points. They're going to average 30 points a game. People don't realize that. They average 30 a game. They get to 30, you ain't going to beat them. They don't care who you are. They get to 30, you've lost. They're going to get to 30. They're going to beat up this Bucks team, and they're going to send the Bucks home. Say thank you for us not having to play the Eagles. Um, I look at it that way. I think this is not. I don't think this game's going to be close. If I was betting on a game this week, this is the game I'm betting: the Lions. Lions. And I tell you what, San Francisco better look out. The Lions are not scared of them. No. Lions, uh, six and a half points want, at home. I want the Lions. To, not just. I want the Lions to beat the Forty Nineers so bad. Oh, please. I want to see the Lions go in there and slug them right in the face. Yes. I want Dan Campbell to go in and do that. I want yes. Dan Campbell to go in there and say, hey, we ain't pretty, but we can beat your ass. Yes. Yes. Uh, Chiefs and Bills, I like the way the Chiefs played this past week. Running the football, defense looked great. Um, Chiefs looked really good this past week. She Rice was phenomenal and, and looks the part. And what they've been missing from that receiving core all year long the Bills came out firing against Pittsburgh, let the you know the foot off the gas for a little bit in the second half, but still finished the job, took care of business against that Pittsburgh team. Josh Allen's doing a better job taking care of the football. They're running the ball well, which they weren't doing, and I think that's a credit to Joe Brady for taking over as their offensive coordinator when they fired Ken Dorsey. They started running the football more. Uh, two teams, Bo, that are playing much better right now than they were uh, even a few weeks ago. Yeah, I think that I think the Bills are playing about as good as you can get right now. Um, what they've done in the last when they 
they were 65 at one point, and we all were throwing them away, going, this ain't the year. And they go on this huge win streak. I think they're going to do it again. Uh, they're at home. They're going to be amped up. I think their offense is better than the Chiefs' offense. And I think that's the difference in the game. I think that it comes down to this is a higher-scoring game. We did see some stuff with the Chiefs this past week with running the ball, which is funny because what have we been saying for the last two months the Chiefs ought to go do? On the ball. On the ball. Even Clyde um, Edwards-Hilaire looked good last week running the ball. Yeah, their, their offensive line played phenomenal. Yes. The offensive line of the Chiefs played really well. You can tell they put in a lot of run places. There was things they did offensively with the run game they hadn't done all season long. It wasn't just, you know, zone blocking. There was more lead plays. There was more stuff of getting guys outside and, 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 and being lead And I think blockers. the weather we kind of forced them into that, too. I, I 100% agree. I think the weather absolutely forced them into doing that. And they needed to shorten that game, and they did. They got the late touchdown. Now, what bothers me about the Chiefs offense is the lack of red zone conversions. That's something Buffalo defensively has been good at. Yeah. And so it worked for the Chiefs a few weeks ago. You had the big game against the Bengals. The Bengals came in and played as well as they could without Joe Burrow. And the Chiefs won because they kicked six field goals. This past week, they got the second touchdown late in the game to sew it away. I mean, that was that was it. That was the death blow. The Chiefs are going to have to convert in the red zone. They're going to have to score more than two touchdowns. And they're going to have to get down there, and they're going to have to, to really run the football. What did work in the red zone, both scores in the red zone, were running the football. I liked the little the play they ran. The, it was the um, the, the Wildcat with yes. Mahomes standing next to him. And even if you don't fake it to Mahomes and you just go, it's – it's a good play. You made your hat on the hat. You got the guy at the ball already. That saves you an extra second. Um, I like that. I think that that's the kind of stuff. It's not gimmicky. It's speed. Don't throw. Don't let me do six things to try to move you around, and and then we'll throw something three or four seconds later. Yeah. Quick. quick. When the Chiefs do that offensively in the run game, they're going to be more successful. I think that still takes time. Um, I think a lot of it was Miami's defense was not up to up to snuff for that. One more Buffalo. question. One more question for you. We'll end on this bow. Uh, a media question of some sorts. Uh, this uh, this past weekend uh, was a very notable weekend uh, for how Super Wild Card Weekend was handled for a number of reasons. You had the first ever Peacock exclusive game which was seen by about 23 million people. And I know that there's been a lot of controversy. People have been upset about that, about that game being exclusively on Peacock. Personally, I don't care. I got Peacock. I, I don't mind. You know, I mean, would you rather than put the game on pay-per-view and make you spend 50 bucks for it? I don't think so. Um, but the other thought side that I thought was maybe just as intriguing was that Bill Steelers game due to the weather ends up getting moved to Monday, which was a holiday, Martin Luther King Day. And the ratings were still fantastic. A lot of people at home, 31 million people watched that game. It was the third most watched game of the entire weekend. And we know the NFL has been marketing this super wild card weekend thing. We got three straight days of two games apiece. Bo, I liked it. If if the schedule lines up like that with Martin Luther King Day on super wild card weekend, 
I'm all in favor of doing the the doubleheader Monday going forward. Yeah, I I don't I, I think it's a it's a decent idea. Um, I don't really like the Monday games in the playoffs though because I think that I know they're trying to get everybody. They're trying to have more game more longer games because they want more commercials. So instead of a three and a half hour window, they're going to a four hour window. So they really want to do that, but. Yeah, it was a unique situation with it falling on a holiday like that. And then the fact that it was Buffalo and the Steelers. The Steelers are a, a team that nationally has got fans for generations. Buffalo's been hot. It also helped that half the country was dealing with cold weather and staying in, like we were in the Midwest. Um, and then a storm in the, in the East as well. So a lot of that's that. I don't necessarily like the idea of a daytime game like that, but I don't dislike it. Like I'm not too hard about, well, what happens? I think the one ridiculous thing I saw over the weekend was the hate on the NFL putting the chiefs uh, game, the, the, the chiefs dolphins game on Peacock. Yeah. I see zero problems with that. I mean, what if that game had been on Amazon prime? Would right. it made a difference? I mean, look, it, it, you didn't want to, people didn't want to go buy Peacock. And it was it still on the local station in each of those teams' it, markets. Yes. And so, like, in Kansas, so, like, I got, I got relatives that live in, uh, in-laws that live in Topeka, Kansas. Their local affiliate did not have the game. Right. The affiliate in Kansas City did. Right. So, like, a couple of my in-laws were like, well, we're not going to watch the Chiefs game. I'm like, just get Peacock. Get, get Peacock. Right. Prime last year for the Chiefs game. I think it was – I saw this on Twitter. I thought it was really funny. It wasn't very much a power move by Goodell to say, hey, make the Swifties all go pay for the game. Yeah. You like, know? when they announced the Peacock game, I thought initially it was going to be the worst game of the weekend. I didn't expect it to be the most high-profile yeah. of the matchups. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's fine. I don't – look, if games are going to be where they're going to be. Yeah. And we're getting away – over-the-air television, cable television, is going away. Yeah. People are cord-cutting left and right. The people who are whining and bitching about the Peacock thing are, for the most part, people who are much older, and they're set in a certain way. Yeah. And they say, well, I don't want to go buy this. You said it right. Hey, go put that son of a bitch on, pay- on pay-per-view for $45 and see what happens. Right. People would buy it. Yeah. Yeah. NFL. Well, and I think the big winner ball was, was NBC, not just because they got more subscribers for Peacock out of it and everything, but 23 million people, that's a respectable number. That's an audience that they would have probably taken if that game was on TV. Um, and it's probably better than the number they would have got if that game was on cable. Uh, I, yeah. I think NBC is the huge winner. Yeah. Yeah, I look at it and say, hey, they don't draw that much if it's on ESPN. No. And I just think that people who are upset about it, they need to kind of get over it. And it's not about what people don't get about the NFL. Is the NFL is the juggernaut of entertainment in the United States. They make the rules now. They yeah. can put their games wherever they want, and you will pay to watch them. If you don't want to pay to watch them, don't pay. Just quit whining. Right. And if you, you didn't want to get Peacock, but you wanted to watch the Chiefs game, well, okay, tough shit. You know, hey, be try to be someone who's a fan of a team who's not in that area. Be a transplant, like a lot of us are. 
you know how much money I've spent over the years to watch my New Orleans Saints? Oh, my God. You know, I bought Sunday Ticket for a decade. And I didn't this past year. And I won't next year. But, again, I, I look, don't bitch about $5.99 for, for a Peacock. Yeah. I double dare someone to come bitch to me about it. Because I'll slap them when I tell them, hey, you know what? I spent, I figured it out. I spent 4000 bucks a year almost to have direct TV some of those years. Because I kept direct TV with this big package that kept getting more and more expensive. Right. For 10 years. Yeah. Spent a small fortune just so I can watch those games. Yeah. Because you can't just cancel right. and then get it back during the football season. So they're billing you at $250, $300 a month. Right. All that service. I cut that cord quick when I thought I had a better opportunity. And I did. You know? Well, I'll tell people, look, if you're not out there look, figuring out the cord cutting thing, here's the gift. That Hulu Live with the ESPN and Disney Plus bundle, it's like $79. And you get every goddamn thing you would have got on cable. Yep. And then go grab Peacock or you already got Disney Plus, you already have ESPN Plus. Go grab Peacock or um, we have Netflix and you have Prime. I mean, what else do you need? Good line. Yeah. Uh, you know, I... I... Me and some of my buddies, like, we kind of split up streaming services and share passwords and do it that way. If you're young, you absolutely should do that. You're my age. You don't do that. We <laughs> we actually we actually gave our password for, um, for Prime a couple of years ago to my, my in-laws. Was it Prime? No, it was Netflix. And now Netflix has caught on. It was like, no, this one's, you people are done. But they were like, no, you, you don't live in both those cities. You live here. Quit fucking around over there. Bo, uh, so, yeah, what's, on the, I, what's on the podcast here? Hey, we're going to talk uh, this week about these NFL games. We're going to get deep into it, uh, even deeper than what we just did. Um, I'm going to talk about that. We've also got about four or five different, like, mini pods coming out that, I'm, that we're recording over the next few days. Uh, Ellen and I are going to do a couple of them. Uncle Rico is coming in to do one uh, about, like, little stories going on. Um, the big one I want to talk about, and I've, I've I waited, and then something happened. It's like sports business. Like I, I couldn't believe the le legal stuff got brought into it. Now the IRS is getting brought in. Have you heard about the Shohei Otani stuff? Yes. And now the state of California and the IRS want to get involved. Um, I'm in the middle of doing some research on it. I find it very fascinating, and we're going to do a mini pod on that. Uh, we're going to do a mini pod on that. We'll do some baseball stuff. We're going to do a mini pod on uh, Kansas basketball. Uh, they're probably trying to turn the corner, looks like a little bit. Maybe it did not start out well. They're turning the corner a little bit. And then got a surprise guest coming on in a couple of weeks to talk about Kansas basketball as well. All right. So, Love it. Great stuff. Bo, uh, appreciate the time as always, my friend. Enjoy the football this weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks. Final segment before we go. It's our Tom Fulry story of the week. Thomas Bridges standing by with something ridiculous happening in the world. Tom, where are we going to this time? Jones, we're going to your favorite, your absolute favorite, eating good in the neighborhood. <laughs> when you're here, when you're here, your family. What's another? Oh, no. What's another tagline? I think you hit them all. Uh, eating good in the neighborhood is where we're going to go. Fancy like Applebee's on a date night. When you're here, your family is that all? That's Olive Garden. 
Bur Bourbon Street steak with an Oreo shake. Now, here's you mentioned the Oreo shake before we really get into it. I don't really care where you go. An Oreo shake is timeless, right? Oh, you can go to Sonic, get a Sonic Blast. Oh, that Oreo, Oreo McFlurry and McDonald's is so good. Yeah, anywhere you go, the, the Chick-fil-A, I think, even has Oreo. Brahms, the legendary. Brahms is legendary. Um, you have the frozen yogurt. You have the frozen yogurt mixed with the Oreo. You, you can get the cookies and cream, um, which might as well be Oreo. Still delicious all the way around. Jones, it's getting to a new level in 2024. And I kind of appreciate it. I Here's where we're going to go. This is coming from Applebee's. If you haven't heard, now you know. Applebee's is offering, starting on January 22nd, at the time we're recording this, is January 17th. And I guess there's limited number of things, you know, passes they're going to sell. But from Applebee's.com, date night every week of the year for one unbelievable price. <laughs> Applebee's, the the literally J, this is the, this is a JV Chili's uh, Applebee's is, and they are offering a date night pass. They were, I think they were the originators of like, oh, okay, the two for, they were, I feel like they were the originators of the two for 20, and then Chili's picked it up. Um, but you can get the essentials of this pass. Is like oh, okay. Well, you can spend two hundred bucks. Like, give us two hundred dollars, and then fifty-two times, fifty-two weeks, and you can use it once every twenty-four hours, up to fifty-two times. You can get thirty dollars essentially free of Applebee's food. So, really, you're looking at like a thirteen hundred dollar profit in terms of food. For this past Jones, they're only offering it for a limited time. It is great marketing. I haven't talked about Applebee's this much in the last, you know, day than we are right now. There is, I know of one Applebee's in San Antonio that is close to me. I will not be buying the past Jones. I looked at the fine print. Alcohol is not included. So you just... Essentially, you just get, you know, mozzarella sticks in an entree um, for this price, but you still get, you still get that food. You know, you pay two hundred bucks for it. You still get thirteen hundred dollars of free of Applebee's. Is it worth it, Jones? You get? Are you are you buying the Applebee's date night pass? You know, as fancy as the date night at Applebee's sounds. And tempting. I'm going to have to go, no. I mean, Tom, 
I I have not eaten an Applebee's in years. I used to frequent Applebee's in college. Uh, we would go there for half price apps after nine o'clock on the weekend. What they have like fried pickles, fried mushrooms. Um, they'd have wings, mozzarella sticks. Um, yeah, I'm. I, I, I would go to the Applebee's. You know, I mean, like, I remember one time. My, my grandmother, uh, she rest in peace. She uh, she didn't have a whole lot of money, and uh, you know she she took us out to dinner one time at the Applebee's and uh, came back and her uh, her card uh, got declined and uh, we had to we had to spot grandma money at the Applebee's you know but that was okay because it was cheap you know it was it was fine um, so I have a lot of memories of the Applebee's. Um, you know, it, it was. I, I feel like Tom that the Applebee's is is something that you. It's a rite of passage of some sort. Everybody at some point in their life needs to regularly eat at Applebee's, and then there's got to come a point in time where you say, you know what, I can afford to eat better food, and this just isn't that good anymore. Maybe it's just even upgrading a little bit to Chili's, but whatever it may be. Everybody at some point needs to take on their Applebee's rite of passage. And maybe this date night package is going to offer that opportunity, whether it's for you and your significant other, or maybe just you for a couple meals every week. I mean, yeah, you know, I think that if, if you can just afford $200 up front, um, and if you have an Applebee's close or it like, if you know what, that's the thing. If if you live in a bigger city and you know where the closest Applebee's is, then you've eaten there before. You are a fan enough to buy this because now, granted, I just moved to San Antonio recently. I can't tell you that I've seen an Applebee's. Yeah, I know there's one close, but I have not seen it. You know, now living in Tulsa. I can tell you there's one next to our friends Jose and Miguel's house or their old house on 51st and Yale. I know exactly where it's at. Um, But at the same time, would you get, I don't know, if you you paid $200 and you get essentially $1,300 free if you add it all up and you do it right, you know, I don't know how many they're going to sell of these little date night passes. One, if I don't have a long time girlfriend, if I'm just going out on the first date and I want to make a good impression, or if I like the girl that I'm taking on a date, I'm not taking her to fucking Applebee's. Right. I mean, um, there, there was a big outcry, big internet debate a few weeks back about, you know, if you should take a girl to the Cheesecake Factory on the first date. And I think Cheesecake Factory is a great spot. I if if she's not good enough for the Cheesecake Factory, she's not good enough for me. Like every girl should be fine with Cheesecake Factory, as far as I'm concerned. But Applebee's, I could understand that. Like if if a woman is too sophisticated for the Applebee's, I, I understand that 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 to me is okay. No, you should not be doing any fancy date nights at the Applebee's. No, I'm not. I mean, not period either. But you know, I I think 
if I was going to take a girl for like a first night spot, even a second night spot, like, you know, if we're together for six months, a year or whatever, and I'm like, hey, babe, listen, <laughs> I bought this Applebee shit for 200 bucks and we can go here and, you know, eat some apps or get a couple entrees and get out of here for free. And then we can go get drunk at the bar and not spend that money. Hell yeah. But at the same time, I'm more of a support small business type person. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck Applebee's. I'll just go. I, I want to go to a, a local spot. Um, and, and you hit the nail on the head too, Jones. If I had to pick, I'm going to go to Chili's before I go to Applebee's. Absolutely. The the bacon cheese fries at Chili's, like hell yeah! Oh, and the queso too, and and you know Walker Hayes did the Oreo shake. I guarantee you, I guarantee you that that Chili's and Applebee's have the same level of Oreo shakes. Like that's not gonna dissuade me or prevent me going to somewhere else because. Walker Hayes said they had the Oreo shake. By the if way, anything, if anything, Chili's probably has like a Guinness boozy Oreo shake. You mentioned um, the Walker Hayes song. If you recall, that Apple Fancy Like Applebee's song, that was the Burger King song before the Burger King song. The Applebee song walked so the Burger King song could run. And I absolutely absolutely hated that song. It was on during every single NFL game, every single commercial. It drove me nuts. It drove me crazy. It was annoying (laughs) as hell. And I'll be honest, Tom, you may remember this. Several years ago back in, I think this was uh, 2021 NFL season, um, Chiefs played the Ravens, and they very well may be playing the AFC Championship game next week, potentially. Chiefs had a chance to win the game. I was so confident the Chiefs were going to win. I put out some tweet that said, you know, hey, if they somehow find a way to don't win this game, then uh, I'll take somebody out on a fancy date night at Applebee's. (laughs) Uh, I haven't paid that off yet. I haven't been to an Applebee's since I tweeted that. Uh, I guess I still need to. But that tweet went viral. I remember old takes exposed, like, retweeted me for it. And I had all these people that were more than willing to go to Applebee's with me. Um, so if we get that for the AFC championship matchup, Tom, uh, you, you, you down or for, for a little, uh, uh, night at Applebee's, you, you, you down, you want to go? As long as I get the Oreo shake. Of course. And the bourbon street steak. And yeah, has any have you have you ever got the Bourbon Street steak? No. What's even on that? Like I feel like it's New Orleans based. Like I say, Bourbon Street steak. You got to give me it. At that point, it's got to be a little play on like a surf and turf. Now I got to look up the Bourbon Street steak at Applebee's. Yeah, see, that's what I'm thinking. There's probably going to be a little bullshit sauce on it. Like, oh, we did like a, you know, we we cooked down a little blackberry sauce and put it on a, All right. the you know, a medium steak. well steak. 
$18.99 at Applebee's. Grilled eight ounce USDA select top sirloin is jazzed. It's not even a ribeye. With Cajun spices and buttery garlic and parsley. Serve sizzling with sauteed mushrooms and onions and garlic mashed potatoes. Absolutely not. That's that's a fucking that's a bullshit deal. Top sirloin. Like I don't even get a I don't even get a Kansas City strip or a New York strip or a ribeye. Literally, you know what I had not not last night, but the night before, I literally took a ribeye that was actually a beautiful ribeye um, that was almost a little under a pound from H-E-B. Here, everything's better. We need more H-E-B commercials. Uh, H-E-B is better than an Applebee's and it's better than a Chili's, but le- little less than a pound, which, if you don't know how to do math, Tyler just said, an eight ounce sirloin, fucking eight ounce sirloin. That's the half pound. I'm I'm over here working with 14, 15 ounces. We have and, the mince. and I'm I'm cooking it up with butter and garlic and Cajun seasoning and Louisiana hot sauce, cutting it up, putting it in some rice. We need to start our own Applebee's Johns. What will we call it? Um we would we would get some really bougie steak options, and we would call it "Keeping Up with the Joneses." Keeping up with the Joneses, yeah. And yeah. we would bring in we would bring in hot dog eating competition. Um. Oh, what's his name? Oh, Joey Chestnut. Yeah, we'd we'd bring in Joey Chestnut instead of like you know like a lot of people bring in like. Dun, 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 dun. They'd bring in John Cena. We'd bring in Joe Chestnut. The more I think about it, Tom, as we go further along this segment, I keep thinking I have a complicated relationship with Applebee's over the years as this segment has continued to bring up more memory. Uh, <laughs> Did know, they have one in Coweta or something? So one my my hometown, Broken Arrow, Applebee's <laughs> actually is where I was going with this story. There was was an Applebee's and Broken Arrow uh, that when I was calling games at Broken Arrow, whatever, they decided that they wanted to put my picture on display at the Applebee's. Oh, my God. and, And they did. But before I even got over there, Tom, I kid you not, this was it within... A month or so of this happening goes out of business, close their doors. I never got to see my picture on the wall at the Applebee's because they shut down. Am I responsible for the Applebee's going out of business? Because they were in business till I showed up. So that was how long in total were they in business? Uh, I don't know, but this was an Applebee's that was around in town forever, as far as I as I knew. Was it by the come and go? Yes, it was by the come and go. Yes, and you, you never got to go. No, because like they went out of business literally within a month after they put my picture up in there. What's there now? Uh, I think a McDonald's. 
I mean, you know, you got to go with the successful franchise. Yeah. And then um, we mentioned the Walker Hayes song and my despise for that song and how much I hate it. Uh, a couple of years ago, I went to CRS, which is Country Radio Seminar. Great conference <laughs> in Nashville. Um, and there's a whole another story about CRS and somebody I met from there. And that, that's another, another day. Uh, <laughs> but at CRS, uh, Walker Hayes performed as he was honored for like new artists of the year. And what did he sing right there in front of me right there? Fancy like, and it's like, are you kidding me? All this shade, all the shit I talked about this song and I got to sit here and watch this thing live. So, um, Applebee's being you, it's, it's been a long run and, and these are just all, I feel like this is a therapy session, Tom. It, it's been a complicated relationship between me and Applebee's over the years. I mean, I think for any, you know, God-fearing, stake-loving American uh, that, you know, they wouldn't they wouldn't put up with Applebee's. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, we talked about Chili's, too. Let's just, on the record, Jones, we, we disagree on some things. We agree on a lot. And I think we can agree that in terms of, of mass-produced bullshit restaurants, Chili's has Applebee's beat uh, by a large country mile. Yeah. Like, sure. if you're going to eat somewhere, I'm taking Chili's every day. If I'm paying for it. I've, I've said this analogy before. And uh, I'll reiterate, Tom, that Chili's is uh, Steve Sarkeesian and Applebee's is Tom Herman. Dear God, I thought you were going to compare Applebee's to Mike Gundy, and I was getting real nervous. <laughs> I didn't want to have to take Applebee's side. Uh, no, not this time. Not this time. Mike Mike Gundy is neither of those restaurants. He's he's more like a uh, you could call him obvious. I don't want to be too obvious, but he's more like an Eskimo Joe's. I was going to say rib. I was going to say rib crib. <laughs> yeah, 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 probably. But at the beginning of the season, he is rib crib on their worst day, and usually at the end of the season. Uh, you know, he might make the best steak you've ever had at Rib Crib. I like Rib Crib. I don't. I'll I'll eat Rib Crib any day before Dickies. I was I was raised on on actual decent barbecue. Thank God for John Bridges. <laughs> I think every kid in Oklahoma ate a decent amount of Rib Crib. Yeah, if, if you can't call yourself Oklahoman if you've never been. You know, balls deep in a rib crib. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's those are the fucking rules. I don't even make them. I don't even make the rules, but those are the rules. You, you've, had, you've had to eat at a rib crib, and that's the thing. You don't get you don't get Applebee's or uh, Phillies in a Coweta or a Dewey, Oklahoma. But by God, if you don't if 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 you haven't passed by. Uh, the the corporate office of the rib crib, 
on 51st and Harvard, then you're not Oklahoman. You you haven't lived in Oklahoma till you got to the rib crib and ate the Oreo at the end of the meal and had to use the uh, the wet wipes after you ate the rib crib. Yeah, you had the the had you had the onion strings or the onion onion ring burger. I mean, until you got those wet wipes out, in the words of the late Kobe Bryant, job's not finished. Oh my God. That that ladies, you gotta end on that right there. <laughs> job's on not note, finished. On that note, the job is finished, and we'll get out of here and end today's show. <laughs> Hope everybody enjoys their rib crib, their Applebee's, their chilies, whatever floats your boat. Uh, big thanks to Jared Sutton for joining us. Coach Bo as well. And you're the listener for stopping by. As always, subscribe to the show. New episodes out each and every week, wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Uh, also, make sure to hit uh, all the <laughs> social medias. X at Tyler Jones Live at Thomas underscore Bridges, uh, studio underscore soapbox, Facebook.com slash Tyler Jones Live, Facebook.com slash studio soapbox, Instagram, Jones underscore report, Tyler Jones Live, Insta Thomas, you can find us there. And uh, we'll see you right back here next week. For Thomas Bridges, Coach Bo, Jared Sutton, our entire crew, Tyler Jones, thanks so long. It's been another edition of Joke Bowl. We'll see you next week.